0: Welcome to episode 11 of We Have Such Films to Show You, the podcast where we talk about movies that aren't the Hellraiser movies anymore, because we already talked about all those. Uh, I am your host number one, Josh Millard. Uh, With me, as always, is your host number also one, Yakov Grinberg. Hey, everybody. (laughs) I feel like How's I, it going? I, 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 as I talk over you, as I try and say it, I feel like we're getting this. This God, I don't know. What, I always feel like I'm like, a it's and was, hey, I'm Yakov Grinberg. Now he's something, Yakov. Jesus Christ! But it's like, I, should I let you say your own name? Am I? Am I being too? Uh, I like being
1: introduced. Honestly, it makes okay. me feel important. That's good. I. I'll,
0: that's. I'll, I'll remember that. I'll. 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 I'll double down. On, I'll. I'll engage with that. I'll make that feel like you know I'm doing a thing. I'm doing a thing for you, and you. You're loving it. Yeah, I am. Just like that, McDonald's car <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> uh, how so you doing? event horizon, yeah. Huh? Event horizon. Event horizon is. I, I think we said this on the the blog, uh, well the various blog situations, the Facebook, yeah. the Tumblr. Um, but yes, post. Uh, event horizon is what we we are discussing this week. A 1997 film made by uh, Paul W. S. Anderson. Uh, the man who uh brought you a whole bunch of Resident Evil movies and uh, also married Mila Jovovich, and i 'm not sure which order that happened in huh. um, I think maybe 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 they fell in love in the process of making several questionable Resident Evil adaptations um, and then yes. you have to lie
1: to all your friends about how you met, definitely not on the set of Resident Evil three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson, filmmaker of uh, such films as uh, *Magnolia* and uh, oh god, what was the more the master he recently did. So slightly different filmmakers, slightly different. I I I think thinking about what this would look like if it was a PT Anderson instead of a, instead of a PWS Anderson film uh, would be interesting. But I'm not enough of a student of either of them to really uh, say anything clever about it. So I'm just going to leave that hanging, and maybe people can engage with that on Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, maybe there's, speaking of leaving things hanging, there's just a scene all the way at the end, right before he dies, where uh, Captain Miller just exposes himself and gives him a pep, himself a pep talk and then maybe uh, dies.
0: Yeah, but, that could work, yeah. 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 Maybe Obviously,
1: well. I, I, I take the one, like, single most obscene <laughs> P.T. Anderson moment. It's like, yeah, remember that time Mark Wahlberg woofed his cock out? Man, that guy's a great director. <laughs> Uh, seriously, no, I love his films. Um, but Paul W. S. Anderson. So it's actually this is his third film. His first film was you know like a release – like it's the only reason it's notable is because it was Jude Law's first film and he had like a minor part in it. But other than that, it was like nothing of note. His second film was Mortal Kombat, which oh, made man. something like yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you if you have nostalgia for that movie. Don't watch it again. Just <laughs> stick to your nostalgia because it's, it's really not a good movie in any sense, but it did make almost 10 times its budget. Nice.:
0: <laughs> So uh, and yeah. that gave us Paul Anderson a uh, career filmmaker.
1: And then um, yeah, and then the writer uh, had an idea for it. Um, I fr- uh, there was there was some like really glib summary. Uh, I don't know where it is anymore of just the writer's idea for it because he literally only had oh the shining in space. He, he pitched it as the sun shining in space with no you know with with nothing behind it. And you know, they're like all right. And then you know they got uh, <laughs> Paul W. Sanderson, and then they made this movie, which is just I mean it it feels like. You know, like an amalgamation of a whole bunch of other horror movies, but instead of like something like Cabin in the Woods where it's like, you know, a a love letter or something or like a deconstruction, this this is just like a patchwork.
0: This is is less love letter and more ransom note, you know, with all the the cutout typography from a hundred different newspapers.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, there's like, there's shots cribbed directly from other movies. And I want to say that those shots are like homages, but this isn't that kind of movie. So I just like, I mean, there's like a one point perspective shot of like people in spacesuits in a white corridor headed toward the camera that's like straight out of 2001. Just so obviously. And it's, yeah
0: you get the feeling that to the extent it was like homage it wasn't homage and like how can we carefully you know yeah. create this scene to honor uh this classic of uh, of of filmmaking and more like oh hey remember the thing they did in you know and then they just sort of you know oh yeah, well, yeah we could set up something like that
1: yeah and it's not even like it's not even the sense of like sampling or a mashup in music where it's you know just done to create like this new original thing out of the source material it's i mean it just feels like they just stapled together pages of alien and you know the shining and hellraiser and a couple of other movies and then just you know it's like here act this um and yeah
0: and yet there was no uh, twin little girls saying you know play with us forever and ever and ever so Kind of fallen down on the the whole shiny thing. Although there was sort of an elevator of blood type yeah. scene, you know, uh, when with, the ship systems started. The, fill- what, what, what were those ship systems? It was like uh, some. It was the, some the liquid tanks, tank, sir. yeah, they, they oh, called okay.
1: them the cryo couches or something. It was it was the thing that kept them in stasis while they. Uh, ah,
0: okay, so it was the fluid for that that was filling up with all the blood and then burst
1: yeah just the worst blood special effects i've ever seen like when it's dripping down on the walls it's goopy and syrupy and then when it's bursting out of the thing like shining style it just looks like cranberry juice yeah it was like yeah
0: it was like like cherry kool-aid it was uh not very and you know you could argue that they were just being method and it's that blood was filling up in there and mixing and becoming part of a solution rather than you (laughs) know they just had shitty blood for that scene but i don't know yeah, this know. movie
1: makes it really hard to give it the benefit of the doubt just because it, parts of it are so well-made. Like, I, I, I mentioned this regarding some other movie um, somewhere, not on this podcast. Um, I think it was about John Carter where I said that Um, just, I, I wish that, like, things with CGI worked like old Hollywood worked, where, you know, you can buy at a steep discount somebody else's sets and props and costumes and just have your own movie. <laughs> that would be great with Event Horizon because there are some, you know, great sets and props, at least the real props, not CGI props. And boy, can you tell the difference. Yeah, um, Yeah. There, there's a good movie to be made out of this. It just wasn't this movie.
0: I th- You know, I think that would, I, this is sort of goes to something... Uh, I was saying on Facebook the other day uh, when I had had a lot of coffee, uh, you had posted something about, oh, I think you'd posted like the the new RoboCop trailer and Mm. and people were talking a little bit about, you know, remakes, yes, no, and whatnot. And I talked about how I love the idea of just like people aggressively, constantly remaking films, I think would be great. Like I actually like there being a whole bunch of takes on something. Uh, I feel like that the the problem we have with remakes uh, is that usually what happens is uh, an iconic film gets made and then 20 years go by, and then someone's like, you know what we could capitalize on? Some nostalgia and brand you know, recognition. Let's remake it. And so you get, like, you get the classic film, and then you get the remake of the film, and the remake is anywhere between terrible and okay, and every once in a while actually really good. But regardless, you get this reaction that's more like it's a generational event. like. We've got the original, we've got the remake, we've got our opinions about the remake, let's never speak of it again, or maybe in 20 more years. And I think if it was more like, let's remake this movie every three years, let's take the the story of this and just keep throwing it at different people, different directors, different writers, let them each, you know, and get all these, all these crazy different ideas from this, like, aggressive schedule of, like, revisiting the same core concept. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I mean, you could even just do it in different genres, like, you know, the Event Horizon didn't have to be, like, a haunted house in space movie. It could have been, you know, a psychological horror movie or a slapstick comedy.
0: Yep. Oh, man, I I would uh, love to see the slapstick version of this. It wouldn't be all that different. They'd change the music. Uh, Cooper would
1: stay completely the same. Just no change in his character at all, except now he'd be the straight man. Yep. Um...
0: Should we talk Should. a little bit about this film, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I guess we could get <laughs> the front end talking
1: yeah. around it.
0: <laughs> so, so Event Horizon. Event Horizon is. Uh, a movie about mm-hmm. uh, a ship called the Event Horizon, and my wife really disliked that, that was the name of the ship. Yeah, and no, it's I'll a talk terrible about name for a ship. But uh, but but uh, the Event Horizon is a ship built uh, to explore the furthest reaches of the galaxy. Really, it's, it's it, it, to explore what is beyond conventional travel. So it travels faster than light by going through a wormhole. And the ship was invented by a, a guy named Doctor Weir, and. Uh, he,
1: uh, he was a descendant of uh, Dr. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park.
0: Yes, yes. Looks awfully like him. You would think they were both Sam Neill if you didn't know that they were actually totally different people and not characters being played by an actor. Um, also, also, their, a cousin of theirs was the guy that uh, In the Mouth of Madness was about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love <laughs> Sam Neill. I, he's not always in good stuff, but uh, he's, he's not always great in the stuff he's in, but I, I always like him. I always enjoy he's always him. He's always Sam Neill, yeah. Yeah. So so, so Sam Neill invented the gravity drive for the ship. The ship went out exploring somewhere around Neptune. It went through a wormhole and then didn't come back for seven, seven years? years. Seven years. And so mm-hmm. it comes back, and Sam, Dr. Weir hops on a ship with a bunch of space freighter people, and they...
1: I think th- they're no, they're
0: not freighter people. They're um, they're they're just a rescue ship. Oh yeah, 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 Re- rescue. Because
1: they're, they're government. Yeah, uh, they're they're with the U- USAC. Yeah. They're, oh yeah, here I, the United States Aerospace Command. I wrote down the one time they explained what that meant.
0: <laughs> so uh, so so he hops on board with them. They they, they they go out, and uh, there's dogs barking in the background for close-eared listeners, uh, but I'm not shutting my window because it's kind of warm out. Uh, they, they, they head out to Neptune to where the Event Horizon has reappeared, uh, and then things start going bad because it turns out the Event Horizon went beyond the veil, and instead of like going to, I don't know, the Gamma Quadrant, it appears to have taken a wormhole to hell, uh, which is actually really kind of a, I mean, they don't, they don't pin down exactly what hell is, but there's – it feels a little bit lazy. So They it, don't pin it down, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I like how I, I have my fake laugh and then I can't help but actually laugh. Um, and things go bad because it turns out the ship's been haunted by, by uh, I don't know, Demons or hell or, or whatever this other dimension is, and then everybody starts seeing things, and the ship starts killing people off, and, and everything goes badly, and they narrowly, uh, a couple survivors narrowly escape and get back to, to Earth, uh, safe from the terror of the event horizon. Or are they dun-dun-dun, roll credits? Um, and that's pretty much the film in a nutshell. It's like yeah. they they go they, they find a ghost ship, it's a ghost hell demon ship, and it tries to kill them all, and it mostly succeeds.
1: Yep. And, uh, that the, you know, uh, Dr. Ware goes from just being like, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that invented this, I'll fix it thing to, you know, the, the horror movie villain of the, uh, of the movie, which is a really just sort of half ass transformation on the part of the film. It really um, is. It really yeah. is.
0: Uh, he, he, he goes from being sort of nerdy and cagey and, hey, let's not all get, uh, Let's not all get crazy. And he's being cagey for the whole, like, first half of the film. Like, he's not really telling people what's going on until he has to. And even then, people are like, oh, you know, but this thing is like, oh, no, it's impossible. There's a point somewhere about halfway in where he suggests – it's impossible for the gravity drive, the engine that drives a ship to mm-hmm. do something that looks really fucking weird and impossible. And it turns <laughs> out when he explains later, it's, he didn't mean it's impossible as in that is a physically impossible thing, obviously, because how could that even happen? What he actually means is, no, no, because I'm pretty sure nobody turned that on. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, oh, so it's not impossible. Your ship actually works by doing something really fucking mysterious and weird that you can stand right in front of and will suck you into hell but they're supposed to turn the key first. Otherwise, you know, no, it's it's like so, yeah. I had a metaphor for the, this. I don't know.
1: Yeah, the, the, I mean, the that the I mean, both the way that I mean, I'm not going to blame this movie for not doing a good job of how the, uh, the the you know the faster than light drive works because whatever, faster than light drive creates a black hole and magic. But the effect of the haunting on the ship is so fucking inconsistent that like there's. You know that the, the, there's ghosts, but then the, the, there's not ghosts, and, and then there's monsters, but then you you don't see the monsters, and it was just it was the weird. It was it, it wasn't even like a weird haunting. It was just a really inconsistent haunting.
0: Yeah, it's like like our complaints uh, over the series of the Hellraiser films about the uh, malleability of of the mythos and how things worked. Uh, like condense that into the arc of a single you know, film about a ghost ship and you get the same sort of like uneven... Did different people write different scenes without discussing how stuff was supposed to work? Because, I mean, you can always hand away them all off. I think people off. might
1: have written different movies and then, you know...
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess it's entirely possible there's a an issue here with a, a script that was more than one person's script. But, uh, yeah, it's just frustrating because it's like... You know, you can hand wave it all away and say, "Well, it's a ghost ship; it's doing terrifying things from you know dimensions beyond our experience." But that's that's the worst fucking explanation. That's like there's it's uninteresting to go that direction. I wanna I wanna I want someone to stop, like, sit down and think about the things that happen and like, yeah. what sort of ghost are we dealing with? What sort of demon ship? You know, let's and- let yeah, they, they
1: they sort of go into the fact that you know, like the what are the thing that haunts you personally is like the thing that you're most afraid of, or just like something from deep in your subconscious. But then it it doesn't really follow through on that, and a part of that is because it doesn't develop any of its characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a, there's definitely. I, I feel like the 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 best things the film does in terms of its creepiness is when it tries to explore some of that, you know, getting inside someone's head and dealing with their weaknesses or the things that matter to them. The film has a few notes that aren't bad there. Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a the 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 point when uh, – Parker, was it? I don't know. So the, 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 the lady whose son's birthday she was missing because she had to Peters. ship out. Peter's. She had to uh, – Peter's Parker's. Eh. Um, Spider-Man, Spider. Uh, I had some coffee this morning as well, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also a lot of liquor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I refrained from uh, having a mimosa, actually. I we went out to uh, a place that was serving brunch, and I was just like, no, I'm just –
1: I'll just have, I'll, I'll just have the champagne, thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> never touch that orange juice <laughs> stuff. Uh she has this moment where she sees her son who uh she's missing his birthday cuz she had to ship out on short notice because the government mm-hmm. said, "Hey, take this Dr. Weir guy out to Neptune." Uh so she's going to be gone for a few months and boom. So uh she sees her son at one point sitting in like a little, I don't know, uh quarantine tent, I guess, uh in yeah, the med lab. Was-
1: Yeah, that's basically what it was. And he's
0: got weird sores on his legs that we never get an explanation for. Like, I don't know if her son was actually supposed to be suffering from some sort of disease or if she was just, like, hallucinating him uh, happening to have some flesh-eating disease on his legs for the heck of it. Did you get anything out of that? Did that – yeah, you know, the only thing I got out of it was that they, they
1: really should have told me why I should be caring about this kid's legs. And yeah. I, I sort of went through this whole movie like that. Like, it's like, yeah, this, like, ev- there are scenes that would be scary or, or, you know, like suspenseful if I had a reason to really give a shit about anybody in this movie. And the movie had never once presented me with one
0: yeah yeah there's there 's a real lack of uh, of setup for these, and so like I felt like the scene with Peters and her kid that worked pretty well for me because obviously it 's a shocking thing obviously she 's freaked out. It was a quiet scene there wasn 't a bunch of people running around and shouting and things exploding and whatever. It was just her alone you know in uh, an unfamiliar ship where some shit 's gone down they 're in sort of a bad situation because their their actual ship has been damaged, and they 're stuck on this weird derelict. And she's alone in that med lab and all all of a sudden she sees, you know, she hears some scratching and she turns around and she sees a little tent. And that I thought was a good, good thing. It's like, obviously, a little camping tent does not belong on the ship. There's a hand inside it. Yeah, it's lit
1: from the inside and there's just like a hand that's just like clawing at the inside, but kind of gently. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, yeah, it was.
0: Yeah, so she goes over, she unzips, there's her son inside. She's like, mommy, and says something, I don't remember. Yeah. and, yeah, so she's freaked out, and I'm like, I can buy this. And that was like a – but, yeah, there was there was not a whole lot of stuff. Like, the setup for that was that she was established with one line as being grumpy that she was going yep. to miss her son's birthday. And that's all the intro we got there. And we didn't necessarily need a ton more because I feel like, to some extent, you can go, like, the the whole, like, you know, maternal-paternal thing there. Okay, parents and kids and separation, and that's hard, and you can sort of tune into that pretty easily. So that scene felt like it worked pretty well. But uh, – but they did that with a few other things, and and some of them didn't work so well. Uh, Captain Miller, Le- Lawrence Fishburne, yeah, um, was this pre Matrix? I think this was yeah, before pre-Matrix. the first Matrix, so he hadn't mm-hmm. quite re exploded yet. Uh, he was probably pretty happy that the Matrix came along because if this was the previous thing on the resume, yeah, it's sort of like the same same general vibe, but uh, lousy. Um, he he kept having. Uh, I mean this whole this whole character's hallucinating things that are meaningful to them is kind of all the horror movie there really is in the movie is is those sort of interactions because other than that it really is sort of like alien oh jeez it's a bunch of things it's like the aesthetically yeah. it's it, it's alien uh in terms of the vibe of a lot of the design there's a lot of white corridors there's a lot of this weird mix of practicality and sort of industrial junkiness. Um,
1: yeah like the ships beat you know the ship that they did they, they did a good job of making like the ship cramped um oh well, i mean with the, the, the there's two ships there's the event horizon and then there's the uh, lewis and clark and they did a good job like lewis and clark is like the rescue ship and they did a, did, did a good job of making that look like you know tight cramped like you know not in the best condition but still serviceable sort of ship um the set design was generally you know pretty good it, you know, I I didn't have too many issues with it outside of that stupid captain's chair. Yeah, no. Oh
0: God, that chair. Yeah. The, the, all, all in all, the 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 film looks good. Is the thing the CGI yeah. is spotty. The CGI is in this weird place where uh, in '97 the CGI probably looked great. It was probably yeah. Like, and now it's it's totally okay. Actually, I mean, it's notably imperfect. You can tell this is not contemporary CGI, but it's not like shitty old. C- like, it's better than. Pretty much all of the CGI that we saw in any of the Hellraiser films, even the ones made after this, you know, the CGI in this yeah. was like as good or better than any of that. Like it was fine.
1: But it also but it was still obviously CGI. Yeah. Like and the, it was there sort was of, no mistaking it.
0: Yeah. It was sort of like front and center in some important scenes. Yeah. So it's like you couldn't even just sort of like say, oh, well, you know, they did a good job CGIing in that like matte painting in the background. It was more like, yeah, this lady whose eyes are missing, her eyes are really CGI missing, you know, it's a yeah. little bit distracting. But uh, but the practical set design was all very good. It was a good looking. And they film. used, um,
1: yeah, they used um, actual models. Like the 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 external shots of the ships was mostly miniatures, as far as I could tell. Oh, nice. Yeah, they. I uh, they, they think there's a note here on um, what do you call it? IMDb. that mentions that they used an entire X-wing model, <laughs> uh, among other stuff. And and it's yeah. And then I think all the way at the end of the the movie, there's there's a shot of. Um, you know, the uh, Event Horizon, just like the midsection of it exploding. And it's, it's weird because the frame rate drops. It's like a two-second shot, and the frame rate drops through the floor. And it, it's, it's suddenly like you're watching FMV from a video game from around this time instead of a movie. Yeah. Um, and that was clearly CGI. And then the, there's another shot of where they're blowing up the
0: model, and that looks good. You know this is actually that that we are like 10 tangents in and we're only like you know 20 minutes in this is excellent. Uh <laughs> this is pretty <laughs> much how we do it. Welcome to welcome to the podcast. Uh the the dropping frame rate thing. This is this just I want to veer wildly into a thing that has always bothered me as a movie mu- movie viewer that I have theories about but I've never really looked into. Uh one of the things that I hate like uh, I just cannot stand this unless there's an extremely good fits the film really well reason for it, which is rarely when I've actually noticed it is when you get a sort of fake out slow-mo using a dropped frame rate and, and specifically yeah. in scenes where it seems like basically in editing, what they wanted was either a longer shot than they had or for the shot to take longer than it did. You know, it's like some specific important little moment. And if I, I like in. Basically, all these situations, if they could have gone back and shot that on a high-speed camera at 60 or 90 or 120 frames per second or something and then had plenty of smooth, slow motion to work with, if they would put that in instead of the chunky, okay, we need to make this 0.5-second shot last 1.25 seconds, so let's run it at, like, you know, 12 frames per second or whatever, uh, I feel like... Almost always, it would be better if they could shoot it like that. And it, probably the thing is, it's expensive to go back and set up a shot. They didn't think that they would need the longer version of yeah. the shot. You know, they don't really have a replacement edit that they like. They don't want to run it at the speed they actually have it. And But I always find it it just yanks me completely yeah. out of a film. I'm like, fucking what? You know, It's like, I, I cannot just not notice that happening. Uh, and and I, I've, I've always... I've always wanted to try and track some of those down. I should try and I don't know talk to a film editor sometime and and get what the scoop is because my theory is that that like they're just they're they're filling a gap that they don't have a better tool for like and it's a yeah, shitty I mean, way to do it but you know versus not doing it at all eh, what do you do yeah
1: I mean if the, if there's no reason to have like a high speed camera on the set they probably don't have a high speed camera especially back before um back before digital because I mean with with digital it's it's uh, it probably would be slightly easier to do that from the way I know the digital cameras work, but not necessarily. And yeah, but especially if they were shooting on film, like you need a special camera. And if there's no reason to have it, there's no reason to have it. If you need it for a shot that you realize that you're making the sh- – you, you, if you realize that you need to make this shot as you're making the movie after you requisitioned everything – it's um yeah you know like how long is it going to take you to get that fucking camera you know from who knows where to where your set is gonna yeah, get it back exactly so, yeah it's probably just impractical to do anything but then you know it looks shitty when you just like slow down uh regular speed footage
0: yeah and that's the thing that's that's what i've always wondered like is this because there were things that bother me more than they bother uh a lot of people as far as I can tell i cannot i cannot stand an incorrect Aspect ratio on a TV. We might have talked about this before. Like, like I know lots of people who are just like this. I was like, whatever. Like, you know, they 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 might not even notice it. Some people seem not to be super sensitive. They're like, oh, whatever. It's on the TV. Some people are like, oh yeah, it's it's yeah. But what do you do? And I'm just sitting there like, but their faces are all wrong. (laughs) And when they turn, the dimensions don't scale. It's all fucked up. You know, it just drives me crazy. And I think this is one of those same things where it's like, yeah, it's. it it, it it is easily cinematically the worst moment in any movie is the moment that they have to resort to that, so
1: yeah so yeah, so that was that was about literally two seconds of this <laughs>
0: film, <laughs> but they were an important goddamn two seconds to me yeah. because they yeah ah oh, gosh, um, but yeah, okay, so we we were talking about we were talking about the the visions yeah uh, so, so, so 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 Peters had the vision of her son.
1: Yeah. Then and um, so Miller, as Captain you, Miller,
0: Captain, Le- yeah, captain Larry Miller Fishburne, Lonson,
1: who okay. I have to talk about this fucking captain's chair. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the, the the Lewis and Clark, it has a ca- Everybody else has regular chairs in front of a regular console, like they're wired into the ship, but they're just regular fucking chairs. The captain has a chair that hangs from the ceiling, kind of like a big letter J. And then, you know, he can twirl it around 360. Now, first of all, there's no reason for it to be hanging from the ceiling like that. Just just none. It looks pretty cool, but you either make all of them like that or make just that one like that. Because at what point does somebody need to crawl under it that you need that little extra bit of space? Yep. The other thing is that it had a really... Small. It had a really sort of narrow leg leg room. Not like going outward because you you could just kick your feet out, but like the width for where your legs. um are supposed to be was really narrow so it looked like some sort of a device that taught like high society girls how to sit like ladies because <laughs> the whole time he's in it he's sitting with his legs like you know nice and together and it was just really weird to look at well this
0: is 20, 2047 so so social, social style may have changed by now Maybe Captain maybe, Miller
1: was a debutante yeah this
0: is the thing maybe maybe that was how you expressed station you know in, in a few decades uh <laughs> Do you feel like do you feel like the 2047 of this film is any less plausible now than it was in 97, or is are have we really crossed any threshold critical threshold in the imaginary? here? The,
1: the intro curl to the movie says that you know the first moon colony is established in 2015, which ha-ha, good fucking luck. So I don't know, maybe just push it back to 2077. Yeah, sure, what the yeah. hell, you know. Now we right now we've got pieces of shit in the ground, then they got pieces of shit in the air.
0: Yeah, um, that's chair, You know, the, the yeah. thing I, I thought was. I didn't even think the chair was fundamentally stupid. Like maybe the idea is they just have to expect a certain amount of abrupt changes of direction and whatnot. Uh, Even in a universe which it's established has uh, functional artificial gravity because they turn it on at one point for a big Mm -hmm. sort of CGI money sequence. Yeah. but 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 maybe maybe the Lewis and Clark is going to get knocked around. Someone. It's important for the captain to be unfazed because he's got to you know stay in command, and everybody else can sort of rumble at their desks. Because. But
1: then he's got to be really strapped into that thing because if the you know if the ship stops short, he's flying right out of the thing and you know like a good six feet to the ground. True. Yeah. Well, not six feet, but you know like a good three or four feet to the ground.
0: Well, we'll assume he, he wears a you know two point harness or something. Three man. point. Uh, but yeah. So I don't know. I, I kind of liked the chair, but I, I liked it while understanding that it was just—it was ridiculous. And I feel like yeah. they—they they set up a scene late in the film, right near the end, where mm-hmm. Doctor Weir has gone full oh, yeah, and he does a swivel and reveal yes. in the chair. And I feel like they put that chair in the movie just for that fucking classic villain swivel move like they they there's like it'd be so awesome what if there was a swivel chair and at the end they go back to the bridge but then they sit in there and he swivels around oh my god you know and there's like yeah okay we'll go we'll put a we we'll put a chair in
1: all, all I can think of is just the arrest development scene where like Lucille does like the you know antagonist chair swivel thing but it's fun to a swivel chair and he's like no no there's like screechy like screeching as she's like trying to maneuver this chair and i'm thinking that like the same thing in this scene where he does like the dramatic reveal but then like there's a short at the top and the whole thing just drops the floor (laughs) that would be good in the slapstick version of this yep um oh yeah so he has so uh where as he you know he just he goes crazier and crazier as the film goes on and then he begins to like actively sabotage things he blows up the lois and clark and then he gets superpowers yeah It's like completely inexplicable superpowers. I I think he's able to teleport matter because like there's a scene all the way at the end of the movie where, you know, like Lawrence Fishman is like, all right, time to, you know, just fuck you up. And he gets the, uh, the hull repair, uh, bolt gun from like the hull repair, uh, thing. And, you know, and he's trying to, and then he realizes that like, you know, Stark, uh. Stark like needs help, so he puts it down, and then you know he helps Stark, and then he reaches for it, and it's not there. But the problem is, unless you are just like actually actively paying attention to this movie, which I can't assume most people were, you don't know what the hell just happened. He's like, wait, did he put the thing down, but then he reaches out, but then he just just keeps going back to what he's doing. And then, you know, the, the chair swivel thing, and then you see the bolt gun in Ware's lap, but he doesn't really call attention to it, and it's really shadowed. So, you know, it, it may as well just be a continuity error.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where it feels like the intention was it for it to be sort of like, a oh, reach for the thing that you thought was there, mm-hmm. but it's not a, what's going on? But it, yeah, it was, it was almost a little underplayed for it <sighs> being that move, along with, you know, a bunch of other you know, like, stuff sort of happening in that sequence.
1: Like, either he moved by super fast, you know, without, like, him, without, uh, what do you call it, Miller noticing that this guy is literally two feet away from him, or he, like, teleported into his hands. Um, And then it also turns out that he's got
0: super strength. Yes. He's, well, I think he's, uh, he's become sort of the avatar of the ship, maybe, at this point. The (laughs) the, the ship has sort of claimed him as its champion and as, you know, this is, actually, that's a whole big thing I want to as we try and invent some sort of plausible explanation for the, <laughs> the, the weirdness of the mythos that I guess the big question there, and we can come back to this, uh, is, uh, was Dr. Weir walking around with superpowers or was Dr. Weir just a puddle of goo somewhere? And the Dr. Weir, we kept seeing just an abstract manifestation of the ship's, uh, evilness. I, th- I think
1: what happened was that the ship just corrupted him and then he got flushed out of the uh, – he, he basically got flushed out of a window, but then he comes back. And I think at that point, the ship just basically remade him from scratch the way it, like, remade everybody else's, you know, real but not real hallucinations. Like, it, it just remade him, which is why I just can't figure out how he got superpowers before that moment.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's It's – okay, so,
1: yeah, let's D- – it's almost consistent. It's like, it's almost there, and then,
0: no, it just falls apart. I, I So, so. there's a scene late in the film, and this is what really put a fine point on it for me. Because like, all the stuff you're talking about, like you say, it almost could just be a continuity error. Uh, like, the the gun moving around, it could, like, you know, we could be thinking, oh, he can teleport matter, or we could be thinking, oh, he just grabbed the gun and they didn't really... Get the edit they needed for the scene that like, you know, set up that movement of the gun from where it was left yeah. and, you know, whatever. But there's a scene right at the end. Uh, Captain Miller is having his final confrontation with evil Cenobite Dr. Weir. Uh, and uh, he's being haunted for like the second or third time in the film by uh flaming bosun from back in the day. Uh, a guy he tells a story at some point when they're sort of swapping stories about hallucinations essentially I guess at that mm-hmm. point yeah uh, he, he's he's telling a story about this time he had to make this call where there was like a, there's a there's a room or, or something on fire on a ship or something and he had to contain the fire which means he had to close down a door but there was a guy in there there was this bosun named something who he had to uh, either you know try and get that guy out or seal up and contain the fire. And so he had to seal to contain the fire. And basically, he left that guy to burn to death. Uh, and he was haunted by this. And then during the events of the film, he was literally haunted by some flaming dude wandering along. So that's, that's and not f- just a flaming dude, a flaming dude with like, fire powers. Yeah, there's some some blowtorching type moves that that happen at some point.
1: Yeah, and like a very like sort of precise, yeah, yeah, he had like the big like flamethrower thing, but then he also had like this really precise like firebolt move that he that he does exactly
0: once. Yeah. Um, Would have been great in a video game. In the yeah. movie it felt a little bit uh it it doesn't really say haunted by the mistakes of your past so much as like uh-oh, mini boss, which eh, um especially in a film where like like no one was being presented as sort of like the superhero character. Like yeah. you know, this wasn't this wasn't an action film where you have a Schwarzenegger type, you know, going up against the crazy various adversities. This was a crew. This was sort of yeah, an alien thing where it's like people just dealing with a shitty situation.
1: Yeah, that's why the the just the third act makes so little sense because I mean, like you know, at least an alien, like you know, there there there's the alien, but they they can reasonably take this thing out if they just get a chance. In this movie, there's like all, there's like at least two, possibly three different like supernatural bad guys, none of which are, you know, are, are repeatedly displayed to not be conventionally, uh, you know, uh, killable or even injurable in any way. Which is, you know, it's it, it sort of takes out any sense of, um, like conflict i guess or or struggle when you know that you know there's nothing you can do to these guys outside of i guess you know blow the whole fucking ship up and guess
0: what happens yeah so yeah what happens Um, i fell asleep (laughs) um oh they make friends (laughs) and uh,
1: everybody goes back to earth and starts a mcdonald's franchise that's
0: what i was hoping for i'm loving it um this episode brought to you by (laughs) mcdonald's (laughs) when you need calories Hey! Um, yeah, no, it's it's okay. So where I was going with that, though, is like the, the, the flamethrowery dude. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a really key point about what's wrong with the film is there's no, like, really all the film has going for it as an obvious arc is once people realize something, they need to get off the ship. And they sort of try and do that. They're trying to repair the Lewis and Clark and they're trying to get the, the hell out of there. And it's like, will they make it or not? But it's like, will they make it or not? Because will the ship arbitrarily decide to murder them or not? Because why, jeez uh, you know, uh. But uh, but so so I was talking about the flame guy the the flaming boson uh, who's uh, haunting ha- haunting Captain Miller and then has a confrontation right at the end of the film where Captain Miller's going to basically try and blow up uh, the the corridor that connects the uh, the front. Oh, if you don't know the what the, the end.
1: ship looks like, um, imagine a uh, what do you call it a Klingon bird of is it the Klingon bird of prey that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's basically like a Klingon bird of play- prey. Imagine, like, a giant ladder sticking out of its ass, and there's, like, a little tugboaty-type spaceship at the end. Yeah. That's basically what it looks like.
0: But or, 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 roughly speaking, a Klingon bird of prey crossed with uh, the spaceship Discovery from 2001. You know, that sort of, like, long, uh, spindly, yeah. part-in-the-middle sort of yeah. aesthetic so so it's just that
1: there's, there's two distinct areas of the ship and they're connected by like this uh like this tunnel uh section
0: right so miller's so miller's gonna blow up this tunnel to let the other people escape and so he's going back to the gravity drive area for i don't even remember why he ends up there and he's being confronted by the flaming boson once again and and he's like uh you're not real you know i've uh uh i'm 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 not uh afraid of you, you know, you're, yeah, he's you're not really, like, you he's uh, just like, I'm not died. accepting this, you, you you're a
1: hallucination yeah, he just refuses to accept, you know uh, uh, the, what's going on is what's going yeah.
0: on and, and not in like a crazy denial way but in a, a sort of yeah. rational, no, I know this isn't real sort of way he's uh, rolling to disbelieve at, at which point, I guess he rolls uh, good enough because at that point, uh, the flaming boson shapeshifts, he morphs into just evil Cenobite Dr. Weir and this is the thing The hallucinations so far on the ship, everyone we've seen seems to do fine, you know, perfectly fine, just on its own. It's a a totally independent, solid hallucination that doesn't need a puppeteer underneath it or anything. It seems like the ship's just doing these things. They manifest, and then they disappear without a blink. Uh, And then in this case, it was weird just being the bosun. I mean, it's, it's not clear why he has that direct involvement other than he needs to set up a villain speech at the end of the film. Yeah, it it was again with like, I don't know where uh, aside from just wizards constantly doing everything. I don't know how this this film wants to work in terms of what it's telling us about the powers of this ship. Uh, the fact that the ship didn't just murder, for, and okay, so the reason, or the ship even
1: what the ship's trying to do,
0: yeah, is is never really made
1: clear. Like he wants to, you know, where or uh, wants to take them back to the hell dimension, but they never say why. And he's also pretty indiscriminate, if not like actively killing the people on the ship.
0: Yeah, it's like if the ship wants the crew to take back. Because he's like, oh, uh, Miller's like, oh, no, take me. Let them go. Just I'll go back with you. And he's like, no, you're all my crew now. you know. And he's like, yeah, you're my new crew. Uh, and we're going yeah, back to the hell dimension. And it's like, yeah. then why did you fucking kill, like, I don't know, three people so far? They were also your crew. Why yeah. not just, like, make them space crazy and take them yeah. back to hell?
1: Yeah, like Hellraiser, like actually, you know, the in the Hellraiser they they set up really distinctly a division between the body and the soul, and Pinhead, you know, like tortures the body while uh, you know, keeping the soul alive to be tortured. And in this, there's no like sort of uh metaphysical angle to it, I guess. You know, nobody really talks about souls, nobody really talks about consciousness outside of the body like, you know, ship went to hell, everybody went fucking nuts and killed each other. And 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 that's that. So you know, I I can't figure out the motivation of where slash the ship to go back to whatever the hell other dimension that they need to go back to. And there's a point at which he, you know, he I he, it he says almost I have such sights to show you. I actually wrote it down. Yes, it, yes. The li- the line was just so close that it wasn't even. Um,
0: I, I have it right here. It's, I have you- such wonderful wonderful things to show you. Yeah, which um, I, I followed with Oh damn, son.
1: Yeah, and then so he makes him see what's uh, basically like the entire crew being tortured, but the crew's dead. How are they being tortured? Because at no point did you actually mention that death is anything except death.
0: I think think the way we could look at this is Pinhead seems pretty clearly to be lawful evil. I think this ship, chaotic evil. It's just, it Mm. doesn't have a fucking plan. It's just flailing, you know, it's doing whatever it can think of. It's trolling a little bit. Maybe maybe the ship is so used to being in the hell dimension that it doesn't really understand the rules and mechanics of, you know, normal space. And so the fact that it's like running amok and killing off what should otherwise in theory be its crew to take back to its, you know, home base, yeah. uh, that's not because it actually doesn't know what it wants. It just really doesn't know what it's doing, it doesn't know how it's operating. It's a it's a uh, hellfish out of space water, as it were.
1: And they also don't really set up the 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 other dimension or why it exists or what's going on there. Like, you know, in other movies, we get at least the motivation that, you know, it exists for people to be tortured, and that's why it's there. In this one, we don't get any such assurance. And even there's one line where I forget, I, I don't remember if it's where or – no, it's Justin, when Justin's in the airlock. Um, he was just like, he's like, you know, um, it's like, if you only, you could see like the, uh, the horrible things from the place, you know, deep inside us. I'm like, this is like the scary thing we're supposed to be afraid of, like the things from the place, you know, just g- give me something to go on here. Yeah,
0: it was, it, and you know, it's it's even if they had wanted to make it just an unknowable, I would have been okay with that. Mm-hmm. they'd sold it. Cause I'm, I'm a sucker for like, you know, Lovecrafty and unknowable, you know, things that's beyond what this
1: movie was originally going to be. The, uh, the, there was a rewrite. There's actually one writer Son and one uncredited. Why do they always
0: fuck these things up? Why don't they make yeah, the, the ar- movies that I wanted to see in the first place?
1: Originally it was going to be like a Lovecraftian tentacled thing. That's like the big bad at the end. And they, no, they, they, they changed it to just, you know, generic like a,
0: hell tropes. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, that's it's like, you know, if you're going to make Exorcist in Space, make Exorcist in Space because so many of the notes are like – there's lots of little sort of like – sort of, you know, I would say Catholic horror notes in a sense. Like, you know, you've got the the, the spooky Latin, which I yep. – when, when we first heard spooky Latin after they put some extra filters on it, blah, 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 I was like, really fucking – you're gonna do. You're gonna just throw in some Latin. You're gonna throw in some spooky goddamn Latin, and later it's established at least that the Latin was coming from the captain who, before everything went to hell, <laughs> the captain of the original Event Horizon's crew. Uh-huh. Uh, and he just happened to like. He was. He, he yeah, liked that was, to say a, some was Latin. an affectation. That's what he did. He was just he, he would yeah. say stuff in Latin, you know. Um, so it's like at least that's why there was Latin, and it's not just because you literally learn Latin when you go to hell because that's the lingua franca of uh, of demons. Uh, well, they, they they picked it up during, you know, the <laughs> 1500s. <laughs> <laughs> they they, it's, they a comprehensive uh, uh, religious history course on the, you know, first day of orientation. In, in the,
1: Sumerian only got them oh, so. so far.
0: Because, you know, okay, so, but, but yeah, the lovecrafting thing, like, if the idea is that just the darkness is a terrible unknowable, mm-hmm. and it's not so much that they went to a dimension where there's people wandering around with, you know, vices and hooks and, you know, doing terrible sort of banal medieval things to you so much as you're just suddenly exposed to a whole realm of understanding that the human mind can't comprehend and you all descend into frenzied savagery or whatever cuz maybe that's yeah. what was happening then okay but i i just i want to be able to i want to be able to buy into this one way or the other like give me give me something i can like latch you know latch into and and really buy into your conception of the nature of this unknowable terror b- terror yeah. beyond and stop and stop hinting that like maybe it's hell cuz you know what hell is you can't just it's it's too fucking generic. It's too easy. It's too easy to be like, "Oh, you know, hell, let's tap into our ba- vague cultural collective understanding of a bad place to go when you die." Cuz no, there's too many different ways you can go there, and I don't want to buy into some lazy ass just vague Christian, you know, yeah. theology there.
1: Yeah, it was I mean, the movie takes like the easy way out of so many uh so many situations, like the thing where um where finally, like you know, flips out in front of the crew, where you know they're, they're running away from something, and then they you know they they shut the, the the doors to. I think it was the med bay that they're in, maybe, and like something starts banging on it. Then you see like claw marks of something huge, like banging on it, and where's just like open the door, and he just like marches like a zombie towards it, and it was just like what what are you doing? What is this thing behind there that's making physical dents in the door? And that, you know, you never brought up and then at the end of the movie, they never, you know, they, they never even talk about it again. It was just, it, it's something, I yep. guess, maybe, but it was, it wasn't like a psychological something. It was like a physical something with giant ass claws that, you know.
0: Have you considered the possibility that in a, a deleted scene, they were all just actually in their stasis pods the whole time with a cell phone next to them? And Lance Henriksen was just standing outside narrating events to them. Lance
1: Henriksen is Bishop? Yes. Well, yes,
0: yes, there we go. So we tie together aliens and he Hellraiser and this. Yeah, exactly. So
1: And he's doing the knife trick at the same time, ah. because why not?
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, lines in this film. I want to talk about a few lines, actually. because yeah. uh, and oh, You know, before the lines, I just want to
1: mention, the acting in this movie is not bad.
0: It's not. It's not, no. It's, it's a good cast. Yeah. They show up, they do a decent job mm-hmm. with what they have.
1: Yeah, and there, there's clearly like... There's the movie actually tries to put chemistry where there isn't any and it shouldn't because they're because these are just like people that were that these are coworkers that don't want to be at work. You don't really need like that much chemistry between them because they they don't want to be there, but they try to do like the, that whole mama bear baby bear thing with uh Justin and, and uh Peters, Peters yeah. and that that doesn't that doesn't do anything or go anywhere. Um You know, they mentioned, they refer to him as, like, Baby Bear two times. And then I guess it's supposed to, like, call back to her, like, you know, abandoning her kid. Now she's abandoning her, like, work kid. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they sort of, I feel like they brought in the Baby Bear thing sort of late. They should have established it a little bit earlier on. I want to talk about that really quickly, actually. This this guy, this is the youngest guy in the crew. He's sort of like Mm -hmm. a surfer-looking dude. And his name is, as far as I can tell, Mr. Justin. Right? Now, here's the thing. He's the young guy in the crew. And so, if his name was Justin, that would make sense. If his name was Justin something, and people called him Justin, that'd be fine. But Mister mm-hmm. Justin, Justin's kind of a weird last name to start with. But it's a kind of a weird last name that sounds like a first name. That sounds like this guy's first name. It should be. He's totally yes. hey, I, I, bro, I'm Justin. You know? Yeah, and especially because he's a kid. Yeah, like that. Yeah, and his spacesuit just says Justin on it, which I think is his last name. Maybe, yeah, maybe,
1: like I mean, everybody else's names. There's Miller, obviously, you know, a last name. Ware, Stark, Peters, Cooper, DJ, you know, first and last name. Smith, and then and then there's Justin.
0: You I know ho- it's just, just Justin. I hope his full name is Justin Justin. That's like Mario probably, Mario, yeah, exactly. I think I think that's I think that's what it is. Let's assume that that I just the, the whole I, I was yeah, like
1: fuck the hell out of me. Um, I actually the second time I watched the movie, I paid attention to names on the spacesuits. I'm like, does this guy have a, like an entire name? No, apparently not.
0: Yep. Uh, so lines there 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 are a few lines I wanted to mention. Uh, yeah. One of uh, which was uh, well, actually, I wanted to mention from the, the, the crawl uh, at the very beginning. It's you know says you know blah 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 the 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 black the the the, the event horizon disappeared. Uh, beyond the eighth planet, Neptune. Now, this was made in ninety-seven, <laughs> so they said beyond the eighth planet, Neptune, instead of beyond the furthest planet, Neptune, because Pluto was still, you know, getting full credit at the time. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice little note of accidentally dating yourself uh, in ways <laughs> you never expected to. Because uh, you might think about like, well, let's let's try and not make twenty forty-seven look too much like nineteen ninety-seven with yeah. a little bit of plastic on top or something. But they didn't think about you know losing a planet. Uh, suck it, <laughs> futurists like, I, I wish somebody had done that Like someone, if someone had just taken You know, it's always been sort of like A, a little bit of a, a, a point of uh, Controversy about classification Of uh, planetary bodies You could make the argument that Pluto's not a, a planet Let's assume someone eventually does That would have been like the most prophetic little note In some otherwise probably terrible Shitty uh, sci-fi movie I would have loved that yeah. If anybody uh, ever did that out there, listening audience Let us know
1: It would be an actual cult hit instead of being referred to as a cult hit on Wikipedia. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Paul W.S. Anderson made that edit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so lines lines from the film uh yeah um you want something hot and black inside you i had that, that was, one written
1: down yeah like the blatant sexual harassment on board all right this is Glad well, to know that exists in the future
0: that that's i because i had a note that like this I, I elaborated on my aesthetic impressions of the film right around this time i said you know the dynamic feels like an alien aesthetic with aliens uh sort of vague crew hostility joking you know ribaldry yeah uh, except in this case Ripley's a, a genteel Englishman and also the villain, it turns out. Yep. Uh, yeah, that felt very that felt very Space Marines right there. It's like, oh, <laughs> I because they're they're dicks to each other because uh they're in space and we don't know much about them. There was um
1: yeah, th- there was there was a line from um Miller when like, you know, uh Ware's just like, you know, I'd like to, you know, thank you all for having me aboard. And he's just like, shut the fuck up, why are we here? But like his actual line is, you know, we're we're over three billion clicks from home, and I'm just like, you'd think they'd have a, just some sort of system of measurement where you don't have to measure in billions for something that's, you know, a really regular way to measure stuff. You you, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then, th- and then they use meters, you know, when when they're in space. I, I just, I, I, feel like by the time you actually have like space transport, where we're gonna have some new systems of measurement that, you know, like actually deal with the vastness of space instead of just continuing to measure things in kilometers, which is, well, I believe, well, like,
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's an argument that there could be mm. uh, something else that has sprung up, but there'd still be the old ones. I mean, we're we're mm-hmm. still using, you know, some pretty old goddamn mm-hmm. measurements in in. In current parlance, even while we use more modern stuff as well, driven by you know the industrial and engineering age. So, what are you talking, talking about? about?
1: You don't get things in hogsheads.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I mean, and yeah, like, why do we even talk about dozens? Why would we ever need to count by twelves these days? You know, it's like there's a certain there's a, a certain momentum to this stuff. So, I, I bet I bet that would continue. So, I'm going to defend it on um, that basis. Basis. Well,
1: fine. Um. Actually there was something else I wanted to to mention before I forget the guy who plays Smitty who's like the um I mean this guy basically came off of like a sailing ship in the 1700s except now he's in space. Um but he's uh he's an actor named what what is his name? Sean Pertwee and he's John Pertwee's son. Yes. Yes. So and and now I'm thinking it's like what if this instead of you know, what if one of the ways to remake this would be just as a Doctor Who episode yes. where it turns out that, you know, Smitty is Doctor Who. Why not?
0: Which Doctor was John Purchby? Was he the third one? Third? Okay.
1: I looked this up. I don't actually know anything more about this. Yeah,
0: yeah no. Yeah, and, and, and he's been in a bunch of stuff, too. Uh, I mean, yeah. like, the, again, like, the cast in this was mm-hmm. totally solid. I, I Justin yeah. was, you know, not great shakes, but uh, he didn't really have a whole lot to shake greatly about. So, you know, what do he do? Yeah. Um, there was a, oh shit, there was some other line, you know, it, okay, it's at some point late on, uh, I don't even remember who was saying it to who, it was probably Weir saying it to someone or something, but, but, but Weir has torn out his own eyes, mm-hmm. you know, at, during a weird sort of hallucination of his wife, which again, the weird mismatch between hallucination and and whatever in this film, yeah. um, but he's torn out his own eyes, he's gone full evil bad guy, Uh, And at some point he says, where we're going, we won't need eyes. Yes. And I was like – do you really? Are you going for the Back to the Future fucking callback here? Is that really? That's the that's the thing you want to evoke at this point in the third act of your horror film? Is is uh, Christopher Michael J. Lloyd Fox on a skateboard? Yeah, I mean it was. I so I, I really enjoyed that line uh, just for accidentally completely pulling me out of the film. Yeah. Uh there is there there's a reference at one point to a a dimension of pure chaos, pure evil. So I guess that, that actually my chaotic evil call is really just a quotation from the film itself.
1: There's um, at one point uh, where says that he he says the the line is literally you know it's a gateway to another dimension and I could have sworn that exact phrasing was in something else but I can't remember what it is and I Googled it and the only thing that comes up is this movie but yeah. I feel like almost that exact same phrasing is somewhere yeah
0: probably just something slightly off I mean I'm sure I'm I'm sure it's like it's this is hardly the first film to to broach yeah. the subject so
1: in um uh, 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 there there there's a Night of the Paper Hat ish line here. <laughs> Um, where, uh, what is it? Yeah. Where is just like explaining what was happening. to the Event horizon. He's like, everything was going perfectly like a textbook. I'm just like, that's not how that <laughs> works. That's not, no. <laughs>
0: I, so there, there, was the, the exposition in this film was a little clumsy, you know, there was a, there was
1: also some completely, um, almost random, like bursts of laughter. Like when, um, Everybody's going around introducing themselves, and he's just like, you know, and then that glum guy over there is DJ, and he just looks up, and oh, they were saying their names and their jobs. Like, that glum guy over there is DJ, he's like, yeah, trauma. And then everybody just bursts into laughter. Uh, okay. And then there's another time later when uh, he's explaining the gravity drive, and he's just like, so, what's the, cl- you know, what's the, uh, you know, shortest amount of distance between two points? And, you know, Justin pipes up a line, and then everybody laughs? What I I don't understand.
0: Yeah, I I felt like there was I yeah, I don't know I I don't know I, I I felt the same sense of confusion. I think I think maybe it was just trying to establish some you know crew dynamics and whatnot and like that that the way people respond to things is something that's funny to them in a way that we don't know about as a viewer because we weren't there and so maybe that's it. Like yeah, I I really can't decide if it's just a line that fell flat but wasn't supposed to or if it was some attempt to actually just write in some. uh Horribly misguidedly, you know, pseudo Altman esque sort of, you know, banter and 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 whatever happening happening sort of thing with the crew. I don't fucking know. I don't. I, I don't I'm pretty know, sure things basically. are just funnier on cocaine. I will say during the scene when he's explaining the uh, how the the wormhole works, I did write in my notes na 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 <laughs> wormhole <laughs> in the centerfold because they folded the things, <laughs> and uh, I didn't actually, you know, I mean, I just wrote the words. I. I didn't write that. I think you should do a cover
1: of the J the J J J Ware band, Ware's band,
0: (laughs) J Ware's band. Yeah, what the hell? Why not? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that.
1: Uh. (laughs) One line um, I actually liked was the um, there. There's a scene where I forget who it is. I think it's. God, I don't remember remember if it's Justin or Smitty, but they're about to go outside to, you know, do some repairs. You know, he's got a space suit on, it's big and bulky, and Cooper just comes up to... And he starts walking, Cooper comes up to be behind him, he's like, Honey, you forgot your briefcase, and he hands him, like, the big, like, you know, repair thing that actually does look like a briefcase. I thought that line
0: was actually kind of funny. Yeah, and and that was uh, Cooper. Now, let's talk a little bit about Cooper, because Cooper is... Cooper is straight up, no question about it, the the funny black guy comic relief in the movie. Yeah. And it's kind like, of problematic in a film like this because this film doesn't fucking need a comic relief character. You're doing a slow burn supernatural horror existential terror in space thing. You don't need to break it up with the ha 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 funny stuff. You know, so it's, it's really weird. It's like someone just like didn't know that they weren't making that movie. And so Cooper <laughs> is in it
1: i mean on the other hand there's two black guys in this sci-fi movie
0: true i mean that's 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 a step up at least and yeah, and, and neither of them dies first so
1: yeah but, no the 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 last girl in this movie is basically a uh you know justin who had suffered uh almost suffered from like uh space whatever being in space without a spacesuit. uh and he's like in the in the in the tank, possibly to live, possibly to die. And then the other two people are Cooper, who is black, and Stark, who's a woman, which I thought was pretty cool that they yeah. they were the last survivors. That yeah. that doesn't happen often. And the last the last character to die was also a black guy, which was, you know, hey, yeah. the future
0: moment of triumph too for him, sort of like you know minor triumph. Yeah, and
1: he dies like heroically. Well, not you just know,
0: actually, let's let's talk about that because well, I want to. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so at the end of the film, uh, r- 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 like in the last big climactic bit of the film before the uh, necessary horror coda, and we'll talk about that briefly uh, Captain Miller is facing off with Dr. Weir who has transformed yeah, out mean- of being the flaming dude and Dr. Weir's basically saying okay I'm going to take y'all back to hell dimension and uh, and Lawrence Fishburne's like uh, no you're not and then he he, he's he been crawling through fire this whole time and he, he grabs the, the remote detonator for the charges that he set in the big long corridor and he blows them and we get a big old theatrical nooo from evil Dr. Cenobite. Yeah. Uh, but did that... Okay, so so we know that Captain Miller... I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I didn't think through this ahead of time. I'm just going to stumble is through it right question, now. Is your
1: question why is he upset at this thing that doesn't really change any of his
0: plans no but i think that's worth asking maybe just like the ship's frustration that not getting its way that it's losing a couple is being manifested in his big no as the avatar of the ship at that point yeah. but still yeah it seems a little bit weird but uh but, I had a security deposit on this. But but Doctor the, the, Captain Miller, I don't think he dies at this point. I mean, he's in bad shape, but he's done this. But he blew up yeah. the corridor. He didn't blow up the Event Horizon. The Event Horizon actually goes back through a wormhole because this the the drive was spinning up. That's why they had to get away before they got pulled back to hell. Right. And uh, so. Maybe he lives and goes to hell anyway? Like, maybe the happy ending for him is that he managed to keep a couple of other people from going to be horribly whatever the fuck happens to you when he yeah. went to hell dimension, but he still went along with Dr. Weir and took that wormhole right through Neptune, I guess? I wasn't totally sure I, I, if I, I that was supposed what to be a big.
1: There, yeah, yeah um, at the end, when the ship actually goes into warp or gravity drive or whatever, um, there's a. Uh, you know, there's like the, the gravity, you know, explosion. The ship vanishes, but then there's also like a wormhole at like around the same area of Neptune where where they warp from. I, I think it was just that like the just severe gravity distortion, you know, because it's a, it's a gas planet, so it's got a lot of sure. you know floating particles. So it was just like the gravity distortion like fucked up um, Neptune a little, which I can't imagine the people on there appreciate or yeah, aliens it, or whatever.
0: Just in terms of the, the the, it seems like that'd be really bad for the solar system if you were putting great big wormhole singularity yep. tunnels through planets, that seems like, like, like that was, that was a big fucking deal moment in 2010. Uh, yeah. which, which is a film we could talk about sometime, but, uh, but, but, but like, the, uh, the, the, the film's not bad. It's not 2001 is a thing you, you have to watch it as a completely unrelated film adaptation of an Arthur C. Clarke book instead of watching it as a sequel to the Kubrick film, because it doesn't work as a sequel, uh, but it's, 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 it's a good enough film. Um, but in that, you know, the Jupiter basically collapses and turns into a star. And, you know, there's a similar sort of looking thing of the planet folding in on itself as what we get a little taste of with this wormhole in the Neptune, except for in this case, it's just a, oh, and then the ship left instead of something fundamentally strange and disturbing is happening in our you know solar system and it. Little, I guess it was supposed it to be like weird. the
1: visual equivalent of like the you know like liquid oxygen flames coming out the back of a rocket, except you know it's a gravity drive, so instead of flames it's like creating nothing where it's making nothing where there was something because of vacuum or gravitons or something so it was probably supposed to be an effect like that, but they they really the, the effect itself looks all right, but the context for it they, they did not nail at all
0: yeah um. Yeah. Uh, some other things. Oh, so so oh, Cooper. By,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Back to Cooper. Back to um, Cooper.
0: The I I I I was not caring enough to get everybody's names, and so he's just okay. sassy black dude for most of my notes. Um. Yeah. The the um. So he gets. How does he get? blasted off he's like outside he's welding because they've got an air tank problem on the lewis and clark set up so that they can head home without all dying of suffocation on the way so he's outside working on that he's trying to put the finishing Mm -hmm. touches on the welding uh and then the lewis and clark explodes because evil dr weir blew it up and and so he gets blown clear he doesn't get killed by the ship exploding thankfully but he gets blown clear clear because the piece of the ship he's standing on gets blown off. And so he's suddenly flying way away from the ship during, you know, some sort of hell catastrophe. I would have been more upset than him in this context, but I guess go him for, like, just being sane about it. Yeah, he's
1: doing, like, the, like, you know, in in basically any movie where you have, like, the one comic relief black guy, he's doing, like, that sort of, like, uh, self-narration thing in, you know, completely inappropriate circumstances, and I really can't... I can think of so many movies where that happens, but I can't name any right now. But it's 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 definitely, like, a thing with characters like that. But the other thing is that his character could have been so much better because he's clearly really good at everything that he does. Like, everybody's really impressed by how fast he patches up the ship, by how fast, you know, then the patch doesn't work. So he says, you know, it's like, I'll get it done in two minutes. And everybody's like, all right. And then when he's getting blasted off the ship, he you know vents his air tank to get back to the event horizon and yeah, he
0: uses his oxygen supply as a jetpack to fly yeah, back he- through the open yawning space to the ship yeah and and not just that but the thing he's
1: on is spinning which, I mean, I, I don't know if this was if, if this was actually considered by the movie's fiction, but it might have been. But you have to take that into account when you blast off the thing. Yeah. Which means that that was a really impressive fucking move.
0: Like, this was this was Keir Dolia as uh, David Bowman in 2001, blasting himself into the airlock. But then some. You know, it's like, this, is, this yeah. could have been treated as a really fucking epic thing. But instead, it was kind of like this guy has been established as sort of a goof. Yeah. and he just does it and it's okay and and, and then yay. he screams
1: here i come motherfuckers yep which i thought was actually pretty
0: cool and then i i thought he got shot in the face by the uh the nail gun or whatever yeah, it was no, that we that mentioned earlier
1: the, yeah that was the okay first of all this fucking nail gun when it finally is fired in like an offensive okay what happens is um so he does the swivelly chair thing you know let's go back to like a half hour in this conversation he does the swivelly chair thing um uh what what do you call it? Miller says, if you miss me, you'll you know, you'll vent the ship or or something, and the guy's just like, what makes you think I'll miss you? And then um that's the point at which, you know, you get like the sort of like heroic music and there's a POV shot from Cooper as he's like approaching the uh the window and you know it's not really clear what's gonna happen and then he just sort of smacks into it lightly. Yeah. Um and then, you know, uh Ware just turns like swivels the chair towards him and just fires directly into the window at him. And then there's a shot of like No, no, first, yeah, he fires into the window at him. There's a shot of the bolt being stuck in glass and that's where yeah, I I was totally confused. It was was it stuck in like Ware's helmet? Or was it stuck in the regular glass, and then it turns Cooper's out it was helmet. just – Oh, yeah, Cooper's helmet, or, and then it just turns out that you know, it was stuck in the glass. But right before that, he swivels again, and he fires at Miller, who dives – first of all, he dives toward the bolt um, over a table. I'm not sure why. And second, whatever the bolt hits, it explodes violently for no reason. And that happens a lot on both the Lewis and Clark and the event horizon. Every time something goes bad, like, you know, it, it, it's sometimes you'll see it in a movie and be like, you know, it's like, why did that control panel just like, you know, burst into flames or start sparking in and, and this movie. Everything does that. Anytime something goes wrong, there's like a shower of sparks that's like firework quality.
0: Yeah, it was, it was very Trekkian, I wanted to say. It's like, it was very yeah. much like, you know, someone's taking incoming fire on Star Trek, and okay, we'd better have some stuff explode so that you know that that's happening. It's yeah, like, and uh, like, it's
1: if, if this was a John Woo movie where shit is just like inexplicably exploding all the time and it's just part of the film's fiction, nobody reloads their guns, that's fine. But this movie, you know, goes through some lengths to set up some realism just to contrast against all the crazy shit that happens. Happens, but why, you know, why use this action movie trope in just like, you know, th- there was no reason to do it. And then and then Cooper, it's just, you know, you never find out what happens. It was just assumed that he gets blown back out and dies. Um, but, but then they, they, later
0: they, he comes back after all. He was okay he? somehow. Yeah, yeah no. That's right. Because oh, he's, he's one of the last girls. Yeah. He, yeah, he just sort right. of shows up when things are really going shitty and... and, and and then yeah, he's still alive and it's never explained yeah. what happened in between either. I guess he was just like, fuck it, I'll go find an airlock. I don't know. While again, he used his oxygen supply as an air vent. So I don't know. Maybe he had a backup. Yeah, I mean, Let's assume he had a little backup. Yeah. 15 minute that. like, you know, spare one. But geez. It felt it felt like, it almost felt like he was like he was a cousin of the director, and so he kept getting his character unkilled or something. Like it's like, <laughs> you know what? I'm not gonna die. Fuck that. I'm still in the movie. Write me back in. You know, and and I don't know. I'm just it, pulling
1: it, up a picture of Paul W. S. Anderson to see if they look remotely alike. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
0: God, yeah. Let's see. Um, I have some other miscellaneous notes. Uh, sure. Do you have? Are there any other major themes we haven't?
1: Uh, let me see. Um, there was the really, really obvious. Hellraiser thing where um eventually uh for no reason whatsoever uh what do you call it um where like systematically tortures and like eviscerates DJ and then just hangs him from chains Oh yeah. And I- then th- it, that and it was really I mean just so obviously from Hellraiser and then the n- very next shot after Miller sees this and he's just like oh and then it cuts is that thing that says hell repair that almost says <laughs> hellraiser on
0: it yes check the check that, the Facebook
1: yeah check the Facebook page, for that because uh, I, I that couldn't have been an accident and if that was an homage, it was the just one of the single sloppiest homages I've ever seen
0: you know and it made me think it made me think both uh, the, the 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 hung up ripped up dude bit uh, mm-hmm. DJ being horribly it made me think of Hellraiser certainly with the sort of extreme body mod torture sort of stuff but it also uh made me think of Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs when he strung up that guard when he escaped from the uh, oh, yeah. the, the, the cage thing. So it was a little bit of – oh, also that, that that was a scene where uh, DJ had also – and this was the second time in the film that someone grabbed like a medical saw, like a yeah, the- chess saw <laughs> or whatever. The least
1: weapony of all of the things on that table of like space medical implements they they grabbed the giant saw,
0: yeah, so earlier in the film, Peters, when right before she hallucinated her son, she grabbed that as she was walking around in this you know dark med bay, uh, and then I think she probably just got startled and dropped it or something, um, or maybe she just said it I don't f-. anyway, she never used it to saw anybody, so never got we never got to see how it was going to be a weapon, and then later DJ picks the same Goddamn thing up, and then he doesn't end up using it a weapon. So it's like, I don't, I, I don't
1: know. And DJ even like at one point, Smitty starts, you know, going all space crazy, um, and DJ just grabs him and like holds a scalpel up to his neck until he calms down. I'm like you know what weapon to use? Why are you grabbing the saw?
0: Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's it, it's like it. Uh, are we just we're just going to mention this every podcast? It's like Chekhov's saw total <laughs> violation. Anton is angry with you, film. Don't do that. Take just take it off the fucking mantle before you start shooting. If if that's all you're gonna do with it.
1: I'm 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 glad that you know Chekhov's bolt gun paid off though, because there was a really loving shot of that bolt gun <laughs> being used for totally industrial purposes. Definitely yep. not gonna come back to this. Oh hey, although it was really funny when uh, he gets the bolt gun to use as a weapon. Um, you know, so he loads it up. He spins the barrel like it's a revolver. Pops the back on. Moves it out of frame directly below him, and then there's a gun cocking noise. There was what was
0: on there to cock, <laughs> you know? It's the uh, the, the cockamajigger. Um, he, his penis had been replaced by an actual gun, and that was just him scratching himself after playing with a bolt gun. He, uh, <laughs> he was cocking his cock, is uh. Is what was happening there. Oh, um, other, other other big uh, other big uh, foreshadowing thing. The the whole thing with the explosives along the long corridor connecting the two halves yeah. of the ships. I felt like that that was one of those things. Is like you really you just had to set this up because you didn't want to explain this later when they were running around. Because who watching this film is not like oh you're going to take a little time out to explain that the explosives set every ten feet along this long corridor on this mystery ghost ship. Uh, are explosives that can explode to separate the parts of the ship, huh? That's, hmm, yeah. that's was, good um, to know. I guess I'll just not think about that the entire yeah, rest of the like film. it's definitely darn
1: telegraphing me something here. And it, the thing is, at one point, the way that the Lois and Clark blows did I say Lois and Clark? The way that the Lewis and Clark blows, and Clark? <laughs> <laughs> that and Clark blows that up. That was super, man. Yeah, is that um, where... St- First, he steals one of the explosives, which look like they're all wired into like some sort of central system. They have a touch screen, but when they go to find where like the explosive was at, it it looks like it's been violently ripped out of its casing, like
0: a car stereo and, like, by a crackhead. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and and there's like sparks coming out. So you'd think he disconnected it from at least something that makes it blow up but he doesn't and he also finds a place that's exactly the right size for it to hide it when um when a uh, smitty's the only one on the ship who oh I'll come back to smitty being on the ship because that's another completely incomprehensible thing but um What happens is, like, you know, uh, Miller tells Smitty that he's like, you know, he uh, he planted the bomb on the ship. you got to get out of there. And he's just like, where is it? Where is it? And it took me a second to figure out that he was looking for the bomb because I thought he was, like, is he looking for his space suit? (laughs) Um, And then he just, like, he sees, like, some sort of access card or, or, or something, and then he sees the drawer that it belongs to. And then he opens it, and the bomb is sitting in there, like, Flush like as if that spot was meant to have that exact thing in it, and it's on, and it's got like three seconds left, and there's like this sort of a sad scene where he's just like you know he looks like a guilty dog as he hangs his head and the thing blows up. Um, That's scene just, actually.
0: Yeah, I wanted to. I I, I I'd love to see a supercut of people finding the bomb too late, like that yeah, little that moment weird. where someone realizes in the moment that they're about to be killed by an exploding bomb, that they're about to be killed by an exploding bomb. Because I also thought of Jeff Daniels in that scene in Speed. Where uh, spoiler for Speed, cover your ears if you haven't seen this <laughs> classic film yet. Um, where he he and some other cops uh, breach Dennis Hopper's house uh, and they're searching it for the guy or evidence or something, and he notices some lights going on and realizes it, it must be a bomb, uh, which makes sense because Dennis Hopper's character was a bomber in the film. So and he has that. It does a great crestfallen Jeff Daniels. Oh shit! Look, and then boom. And I, I would love to see just all of these scenes lined up, just like little five-second bits each. Uh, but please continue.
1: Um, yeah. So I, the, no, that was actually the 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 end of that. It was just that you know it it was it didn't make sense because yeah because the bomb was taken out of its housing, removed from something it was clearly connected to electrically, put into another thing that incom you know just like fits it for no reason that I can understand, and then. You know that I have no idea why they chose to do it like The other thing is that, um, so the, the, everybody's getting back onto the Lewis and Clark. So they would uh, they have CO two scrubbers, and the, they're in the shape of like giant cylinders. They look like those things that um, architects used to carry around uh, blueprints, like those big tubes. Yeah, big,
0: big, big, yeah. big blueprint tubes. Yeah. So, um, you know, Smitty
1: and Peters, the, the 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 medical officer who would you know with the kid, um, they're collecting them, and then. Uh, you know, they, they, they get, they, they get all of them. And the first, there's like an argument. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, we, we we gotta go. We gotta go. She's like, no, we need 25. We need 25. And she's like trying to wrench this one out. And she finally gets it out. She's like, got it. And then she, uh, you know, they keep going. And, but then, you know, the gravity drive gets her and she starts hallucinating her child. Um, and smitty keeps running and then she basically like you know she turns around drops all her shit loudly cuz it's all like a bunch of shit clanging down and starts following you know her the, the her child that she's seeing running around the ship and eventually you know like she sees the she sees him and he's standing there he's got like a creepy kid smile um She moves towards him and then she falls down into a hole and dies. You know that. You know that's how she dies. But the thing is, at no point is Smitty like, "Hey, what happened to that person carrying the other half of the CO two scrubbers?" You know, he doesn't mention it to Miller when he's back on the ship. He doesn't go looking for her. Just it's just totally. You know, it's as if she did not exist. Yeah, which makes just not a lick of fucking sense. Yeah,
0: it. uh, Yeah. Also, I wasn't sure how many scrubbers they had in those. 'Cause it was like a a, a a hex of tubes. And so I think yeah. it would have been seven tubes per hex, one in the middle and then six around. Mm-hmm. But they, they each had two of those hex plexes, so they each had like fourteen or or between them twenty eight potential things. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Okay, we gotta go. And I wasn't sure if they had filled those up, but she was like, No, we need twenty five. It's like but you no, have capacity. Weren't. Yeah, like, they were... Yeah, that... I, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the dumbest... Like, this is not even a complaint worth making yeah. about a film because it's not even clear whether or not they'd fill it up. Yeah. But I was I was really, like... I was trying to fucking count the capacity on those things because yeah. that's apparently what I pay attention to. Also, uh, in, uh, in 2047, they're still using optical media. We see yeah. someone trying to pull out... Uh, were they struggling to get it? Um, yeah, yeah,
1: like the CD, like like there's a ship's log that's for some reason on CD. Um, could, be and easy, like, could be Blu-ray. Could be, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's on optical disc of some sort, the, the most reliable of storage mediums. Um, and she, you know, pokes the button like a car stereo and it comes out and she grabs it, you know, with her big like spacesuit fingers, like right, you know, one on either side, because that's how you're supposed to, you know, grab a disc and she can't get it out of there and eventually just pulls out.
0: Yeah. I, f- I really thought it was going to break or something that I'd have to like, oh, but yeah. it's okay. We can use the, uh, the, 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 laser reassembler fire to, uh, it uses to,
1: holographic like, just... storage. Every molecule of the disc has the same data as the rest of it or something
0: yeah, or something, um, but, but no, it was just a yeah. sticky disc in a drive and whatever uh i do want to say we didn't really talk about this in detail but we 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 said the film looks pretty good for the most part Um, i want to say the gravity drive room which is a big central piece of the design in this film it's this big spherical room with a bunch Mm -hmm. of plating on the wall and then this sphere in the middle yeah yeah, the sphere in the middle with three Mm -hmm. different independent axes of sort of 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 orbits of uh, like toruses, I guess you could say, that orbit independently around it. And when they all line up, the lights come on and the gateway opens and you get got the black pool and presumably that's and the how ball the wormhole works. And the ball is also works. covered in spikes. Yeah, and everything, it looks awesome. I mean, this is yeah. a really fucking neat set, but really, this is your fucking gravity drive? How do you get away with making something so ornate and gothy as an engine? Okay, but it's really important for the wormhole that it looks like it's out of a metal video. You know, it's <laughs> it just like such a, I had a, I had a hard time believing. And that's one of the things where I kind of wish they'd done a little bit of exposition, even as a throwaway, even to just acknowledge it. If they'd walked in and been like, uh, you know, like, like, Hey, Dr. Weir, I guess you, I guess you really like Iron Maiden, huh? You know, but nobody says anything about the fact that this is the most awesome, weird fucking looking spaceship engine ever. Everybody's just like, Oh, so this is the gravity drive. Okay. You know, it's, I, I
1: and the nothing mist- else in the movie floats, by the way.
0: Yeah. The, the gravity drive is the only thing in the
1: movie that has ever seen floating of its own accord. Like, because the gravity's on, but the thing's floating in midair and the rings are floating around it. None of the other technology, like, even remotely resembles that, even on that same ship. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah, it looks really cool, but it's also incredibly impractical. There's just, like, spikes jutting out of everything, like, big, sharp spikes. Yep. Um, And also, there's at one point they have to go like fix something with it. You know, something got blown out, and uh, where's like, Oh, I'll go fix it. And he just like unlatches a random like spike and it goes up. And it turns out that's, you know, the entrance to it. And, <laughs> and just how do like you this find that been one. Gone seven years. How do you remember exactly where that is? And when he's crawling around on the inside, it's just like, you know, the walls are just covered in um.
0: like green glowing circuit board sort of plastic, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. Well, another clearly, very cool looking shot but it's like yeah but,
1: first of all straight out of both 2001 and aliens yeah because uh, in 2001 it was the, the inside of Hal looked almost identical and aliens it was uh, mother looked basically like that on the yeah. inside.
0: it certainly it certainly um, looked a lot nicer than uh, than a Jeffreys tube so I'll give them that
1: yeah and then it's also really not clear how big Big these things are. Cause I think at some point he stands up in there, but at other points he's crawling.
0: Yeah. It, it, it I didn't have a real good sense of where yeah. exactly this stuff fit in with the rest of the ship. It looked, yeah. it looked like, again, it looked like something really fucking cool looking, but it feels like they just had a cool looking thing and they just glued it on to the movie. Uh, so it's a little yeah, bit weird.
1: Yeah, If they even had like a plot point, says so like you know, it's like I invented it, but you know the designer was mad and killed himself after making it, and that's why it looks like this instead of you know like any other piece of technology on board this ship. Um, yeah. Oh, do you, you know, there's one thing I just have to say. It, it pisses me off every time I see it in a movie, and it happens so often that I'm starting to suspect it's on purpose. Is that uh, so? Where's wife killed herself for? No particularly good reason. At one point, he's got like a hallucination flashback where it's sort of like, um, oh God, what is that? Ingmar Bergman was like one one of the first people to do this kind of scene or to do it well where like, you know, somebody flashes back in time and, and oh no, no, he did it with people actually responding. So yeah, he flashes back in time to his wife and she's like putting on makeup and he's like trying to talk to her and she clearly doesn't acknowledge him being there because I guess he's just, you know, hanging out in his own memory. And then she, you know, she finishes putting on makeup and then she goes into the tub and slices her wrists open and dies. First of all, she slices her wrist open wrong. You, you, you. She she does it across. You, yep. I, I don't think that works. Um, I'm not sure how long you have to be in the bathtub for that to work. Um, and the other thing is, they 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 was clearly set it up like it was supposed to be like maybe he was just like having a nice memory of a time they had a good date because she's putting on makeup and her hair's done, she's wearing a dress and then just like immediately goes into the suicide and the only thing he says is just like I know I wasn't always there for you it's like if you want me to care about any of this, just give me something to go on and and not just... Like, you know, a vague, like, I wasn't around enough, so my wife killed herself.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting, because that that is another one of the scenes from the film that I actually liked. But I liked it partly just in a benefit of the doubt sort of way, because I liked what it could have been. And I liked the fact that it was one of the more slightly jarring and a creepy rather than cheap, scare, noisy, explosion sort of way. Because uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of um, 2001. Uh, the the final sequence with David Bowman seeing himself from various points in the alien room as he's you know we're montaging through him sort of aging out the rest of his life mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 sort of disconnect between you know normal perspectives and what we're seeing you know there's this sort of shifting discontinuity in the things that Doctor Weir is seeing as he's seeing his wife and and really what it is there wasn't enough in the film to really set up the relationship he had with his wife and the nature of his loss cuz that seems to be what they're going for is there's this sense of yeah. loss the sense that you know he lost his wife and uh and that obviously played into his sort of oh, yeah, obsession his and mental is instability his wife. yeah his his wife with yeah. the bad cgi no eyes uh which i remember at the time when i saw it, the the first time i saw the no eyes wife i was actually it kind of got me it was it was it, it's it's not bad
1: uh yeah it's, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as some of the other stuff yeah Um, but uh also yeah the the eyes like thing throughout the whole movie never actually like everybody's constantly ripping out their eyes but they never actually do anything with it there's not it's it's not even a metaphor they 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 have that one line it's like you know where we're going we don't need eyes And
0: we have such wonderful wonderful things you could take it as sort of a uh, the nature of this experience transcends anything like human vision, and therefore, you know, eyelessness is a you know visual metaphor for seeing so much more than you had ever you know previously seen, so to speak. But they they don't do that in the film. They don't actually
1: yeah. Go and they there explicitly and... torture people too, which is just like, and they don't torture their eyes. Uh... Yeah.
0: So I don't know. But anyway, I, I liked I liked the idea of that scene. I liked the discontinuity, the jumping from moment to moment. The idea that he was experiencing this hallucinogenic re-experience of this sense of his wife. I just wish the film had done more with their relationship and made it more of a meditation on the nature of his loss and how that made him an obsessive and and the relationship between the death of his wife and uh, the creation of the ship. You know, There, there could have been more of the character and that felt like a strong moment that could have played off that if there'd been more behind it. And instead, it was just sort of like a little bit, spooky but also kind of eh. yeah it's hard not to get distracted by the clumsier bits of it yeah um a little bit uh, i guess a little bit of solaris there at this point too if we're talking about oh, yeah. sort of like you know being haunted by the yeah. manifestation of the, the the dead wife in space sort of thing
1: yeah um, i mean i remember when this movie came out everybody was saying um it's like oh it's just horror solaris uh i know that may mention a lot yeah um
0: a little ah. a little a little touch I liked just a little moment that was just like a a little effect shot they they established uh-huh. they found the event horizon early in the film the gravity's off the gravity drive is offline so everything's floating in the ship we see some CGI floating water balls and stuff and we also you know they come across floating frozen corpse uh, and then they turn the gravity on and we get a a montage of things suddenly falling to the ground that, throughout yeah. the film, including that frozen corpse falls and shatters. That was a it was a, it was a cool yeah. little shot.
1: And there was um the coolant too, which is like floating around and like you know like I mean it looked like liquid in space. It looked CG, but you know it wasn't terrible. But like when the gravity turned on, it sort of rained down instead of plopping down. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Oh. Uh. Jesus. I think at some point Miller just says "fuck this ship." <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that line because he hates that ship um yeah
0: there's a i'm I'm. I'm trying to look it up right now there's a specific uh i think it's a dolly zoom must be the name yeah there, of it.
1: Yeah, there was a dolly zoom uh with fucking i remember the lights going out and i remember writing down dolly zoom but i don't remember the context <laughs> i think it
0: was, i think it was one who was crawling around in the uh the the circuit board corridor oh yeah, yeah. it's right near that yeah. um yeah it must have been in there and they do a and a dolly zoom for anybody doesn't know what we're talking about it's this nice it's this great uh, camera effect that's that's great for a horror movie or maybe for a thriller basically it, it it's a big zoom that doesn't look like a zoom where the camera is on someone's face and their face basically stays exactly where it is the same size it is it's like a steady shot on them except for the background uh goes whoom and like the room like totally stretches out behind them somehow and uh this is a trick where you put the camera on a dolly and you point it at their face uh and then you push in i think i think you push in uh, on the dolly a dolly's just a cart you, you, you cart the camera no, I,
1: th- no I, I think you pull the dolly and zoom in
0: maybe yeah i guess either either one um I'm trying to think think which direction the background is going. And you could do it either way. The the point is you you put a camera on a dolly, you point it at someone's face, and then you move it directly towards or directly away from Mm -hmm. them. And normally if you just did that, they'd obviously get a lot bigger or a lot smaller. It'd be like you're just running up or running away from them with a camera. But at the same time, you zoom the lens on the camera to – Uh, change the field of vision of uh, of the camera itself which if the camera was setting still and you twisted that they'd get smaller or they get larger Uh, and so you pair these up opposite and do it real slick and what you get is simultaneously making them bigger and making them smaller so they stay the same size but you get that biggerification or smallerification effect going on in the background around them so it's really it's a really neat disorienting sort of like Mm -hmm. what the fuck just happened you know it's a great thing to you know, sync up with a music cue, like, or something like that. Um, I've always, I've always liked that. I never looked up the name for it, but I've always thought that was a fun trick, but it's one of those things like I talked about this in previous episodes when we saw some of the stuff like the split lens stuff in Hellraiser Mm -hmm. is it's one of those effects. that's like, once you were looking for it, it's like, you can't not stop and think, Oh, Hey, yeah, they did a dolly zoom, you know? And so it's, it's almost like a deficit, to have noticed it and known what it is because you can't help but think oh yeah let's think about the mechanics of the cinematography for a second in a way it's a little bit uh less effective than if you were just coming at it naively and just found the whole thing unsettling i guess
1: yeah yeah it's 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 like adr where you know once you see it it's that you know that's another zipper on a costume or you know another string that you could see holding up the spaceship oh um actually i saw in a great if you want to replicate this i mean you could go to go to youtube and just like look up dolly zoom you'll see you know tons of it there might be even be a supercut. but if you want to try it on your own if you have um public transportation or i mean i guess you could do this if you're sitting in the back seat of a car um and you've got you know your camera phone just zoom in yeah as as the car is driving just go into the back and you know from the back where it looks like things are going backwards zoom in and you kind of can kind of pull off that
0: effect <laughs> that could work yeah
1: um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that actually uh, th- th- that was good. And I also liked the fact that it was, um, it was in like a really enclosed space, which sort of amplified the effect. Yeah. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, oh. there was
0: another nice little bit of cinematography in there. They used a, a steady throb when he was still crawling around in the, the mm-hmm. green circuit board area. And I think right after the, the dolly zoom, uh, they're doing this throbbing to black, you know, fade, fade down mm-hmm. to black, fade back up, and I don't know if it's supposed to be the actual lights in there going out or if it was just supposed to be a, you know, mental thing. But it worked on camera because it was a good way to do a shot cut to the eyeless wife, yeah. like you know, throb down to black, throb back up, throb black down, and then boom, there's a wife with no eyes there. Uh, I thought that was another. there's was a nice little. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, use yeah, the of whole it. thing in that in that little tube kind
1: of worked worked pretty well, even if it was a you know derivative and. <sighs> Everybody shares cigarettes on this ship. It's weird. I think they have a pack between them because every time somebody's smoking, they're sharing it with somebody.
0: Maybe maybe, maybe there's a bunch of packs. Like, there's Nobody has to worry about it, but they don't like going and getting them. So you know, somebody <laughs> goes and gets one, and then they share it out, and then someone goes gets another one. Uh, there was another classic little horror shot, actually. Uh, oh, um, wait, wait,
1: Hang on, before we get into that, they, they, uh, one of the final shots in the movie, just this is back in the... Um, the uh the uh, the gravity drive room. Uh, the last well the the last important really shot of the movie, like you know, the big fist fight between um Ware and uh Miller, the entire room's on fire. Everything's on fire. All of the spikes, you know, the gravity drive, everything's on fire. And I thought that was actually pretty cool.
0: Yes. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> also so the thing I was gonna say, like talking about like classic horror. Uh, mm-hmm. camera setups there's a pan later on mr justin's been laying on a table uh, oh, yeah. he's been comatose and then mm. then the peter's is there and and we get a slow pan to the right as she's walking through the med bay uh, i think there was a pan to the left that you know brought him in frame and then she's walking to the right and we pan to the right and so he's laying on this bed that scrolls off the left of the screen as we pan right to follow her and she sort of pauses to poke whatever she's poking or whatever mm-hmm. and then she pans we pan back left so she comes back left and he's gone and it's like i mean there's nothing super amazing about it but it's a classic sort of horror move is just using yeah. the frame of the camera to sort of draw attention to what is off camera you know which there's a lot of ways to do that but i i noticed that one as well it seemed like a a, a, a good enough use of that specific uh yeah way.
1: I mean um it's where where was it that I saw that that was a uh, poltergeist they did they did a really good shot with that in poltergeist where um i I, I don't know any of the characters' names but one of the you know they're hanging out in the kitchen and you know it's tracking the 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 mom as she goes to talk to the kid and you know you see like the kitchen table and then there's like all of the like sort of the cabinets and everything separate from that and so just like pans to you know where the cabinets are in the fridge and she's talking to the kid and then it pans back and all of the chairs are like stacked up neatly on top on top of the table um yeah that was another shot like that that was really good yeah and yeah yeah i I enjoyed it in this movie too even though it was you know another one of those inexplicable things like did you not hear him running away because he gets pretty far it's a magical
0: ship um yeah i don't know uh, I wanted to note that in uh, so at one point in the film we get to, I think that CD that was hard to get out had uh, crew footage including uh, you, know, you know everybody going crazy when they've been exposed to hell dimension or whatever and they're tearing each other apart or whatever and there's a brief shot of someone sticking a hand in someone's oh, mouth yeah. That's a total hellraiser move there hand yep. in the mouth stick that hand in that mouth um, oh, we
1: should um, we should link to this in the in the in the blog post. But um, recently, they uh, they found a bunch of there's supposed to be a lot more. There's like another half hour of just straight up gore footage for this, and some of it appears in really shitty quality on the DVD, which I haven't seen because uh, I watched this on Netflix. But they got some uh, production stills, I think, and uh, the I think. They they threw them up on some blog or another, and it's just more gore from the movie. They, they they literally cut like a half hour from this movie, and most of that was just supposed to be horror stuff, which would have actually kind of made this a better movie. Like if it was just like a total gore fest, yeah. and then you could at least appreciate that instead of like you know like the the, the plot. Yep. Oh, um, one thing in the movie supposed to be futuristic, no longer futuristic. iPads. Oh, or tablet yeah. computers. Yeah, there's somebody's, like, using a tablet computer. I could be in 1997 being like, oh, damn, look at that. And now it's just like, boy, that sure is clunky.
0: <laughs> it, like it was really
1: big. And it was it was having, like, reception problems.
0: <laughs> you know how it is. Neptune's got terrible Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, there was a we, – we mentioned the that Peters runs off and chases her kid and falls down an elevator shaft, mm-hmm. basically, and dies. Um I want to say he was standing, her, her hallucinated kid was standing in what was a very, very explicitly casket shaped, uh, little corridor and doorway. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, again, uh, very, very, very metal band. Very. Yeah. It was just like, it was just like that sort of shape. I, I thought it was a cute slash embarrassing sort of little note that they managed to throw in there. Uh, what else? I think I had like a couple more things, but oh you know there was there a... was a
1: there was a split up gang moment in the movie where it was just <laughs> really. Yeah, like, after Cabin in the Woods, I just I can't ever see that. It's like, you know, you take that angle, I'll take this one, you go there. It's like, okay, yeah, that, that's what you do on the haunted spaceship, you split up.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like, uh, from video games I've learned that, no, you know, the only time that you split into two squads is if it's close quarters and the enemies have grenades. Then, okay, you want to you keep your space a little bit so they can't kill everybody in one turn. But uh,
1: Or if you're trying to flank them.
0: Not yes, if you're yeah. Well, yeah.
1: wandering around an empty thing.
0: Being haunted by a ghost yes. ship that could kill you at any time. Uh, there's a near, near the finale. Uh, there's a scene where there's vacuum in the ship, and this is this is where, as you said, uh, Cenobite uh, Doctor Weir gets blown out into space. Uh, at uh, and and so there's there's a vacuum in. Uh, It's somewhere and 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 Captain Larry uh, Captain Miller managed to hold on with his bare hands uh, and not get blown out into space uh, while a chair is torn off of steel bolts by the vacuum now I don't think this is how it works I think if you can tear something with like you know probably 2000 pounds bearing bolts off just with wind. I don't think Larry Fishburne has that kind of upper body strength. I think he'd be out yep. of space, too. So I was a little, I was a little yeah. bothered by that. But that was all part of that very noisy, vacuum-y, not super yeah. interesting finale set piece. So, you know, what do you do? And they had a sh- chance for a
1: really good FX shot. And I could have sworn this had happened the first time I saw this movie back in, like, 2000. But I guess it didn't, which was um, him trying to get... Uh, well, Miller trying to get Stark through the airlock before it shut, and I'm just like, that would be a really cool time to like slice off her hands, slice her in half. <laughs> but nope. nope, they get through it. Yep. It's like, all right, well, another
0: that's another science question. I I think I, I wasn't paying close enough attention to catch exactly where they're going with, but they were talking about basically the the stasis tanks going into uh, the, the the opening cryo of the, yeah, the cryo couch. The cryo couch. So it's basically it's it's a big it's a big uh, tube full of water that they uh stripped down to the underwear and like you know hang out uh unconscious for a couple months in and it's and it's full of water it's full of water and i think maybe the argument was that the water is there to protect them from the g forces from accelerating and decelerating yeah cuz it would liquefy your skeleton yeah i'm not sure if being a tank in in a tank of water would actually help i mean yeah, no. the water's going to get accelerated too and it's not like the water's inside it's like they weren't breathing liquid oxygen to keep their you know lungs maybe it's some sort of
1: special gravity infused it's homeopathic gravity water that's
0: it that's it yeah they exposed the the water to tiny tiny bits of gravity and then it's yeah but
1: that opening crawl doesn't tell you that in 2030 we discovered that homeopathy actually (laughs)
0: works (laughs) it had been quelled for decades by a conspiracy of jealous uh, scientists (laughs) so called scientists um also there's a scene where uh dr weir is looking at his wall where he's got a bunch of pictures of his wife and he he takes and he tears up well it doesn't tear he pulls a photo off the wall who Mm -hmm. does that does anybody actually say you know what this photo on this wall that i put on this wall i'm gonna pull it off this wall now so i can look at it closer
1: and then and then he goes over to another like little shrine to his wife and he puts it down there
0: yeah it just uh, it feels like like, you can just look at a photo. It doesn't have to be part of a whole fucking thing. You can just look at a photo. We'll understand that it means something to you. The camera can cut to a direct shot of the photo so we can get a better shot if that's important. You know, we, we can do this in multiple camera angles to get the fact that you're looking at a photo and care about it without making you, like, constantly be rearranging your shit in a way that nobody fucking know. Like, if you're unpacking or packing, okay, you're pulling everything off the wall, fine. But uh that's just, that's fiddly. That's silly bullshit, yeah. so. Oh,
1: another, um piece of this movie <laughs> taken straight from another movie when uh justin you know when he he's the first one to watch the drag gravity driving gaze. so he shows up there and what happens is like the three rings revolving around it align towards him and the lights light up and like the ball opens from the inside and just like turns into like goopy black That's stuff it. and then he pokes it and it comes out a bit and then he you know, reaches his hand in, but then he gets pulled in, and it's scary. And then, like something happens, and there's like this outward force uh, coming out of like the the activated gravity drive that blows things up. And it is, I, I don't think I would have noticed this had I not watched Stargate like three days ago. <laughs> but it's just complete. It's exactly out of Stargate. It locks, and then there's a burst, and it locks. There's liquid, and then there's a burst, and I mean. Maybe there's only so many ways to do this, but did you have to do the one that's exactly like a movie that came out what, like three years prior? Yeah,
0: it's totally, it, the, the, the 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 gateway inside the Gravity Drive is totally just a mm-hmm. goth Stargate. It's yeah. it's kind of, I didn't even, I've been thinking it, I didn't even say it, it, it felt almost unnecessary, but I'm, I'm glad we actually did mention it. Uh, Maybe gosh. that's what they
1: should have called this, goth Stargate.
0: Yeah. Also, I wanted to, what, one other...
1: Stargate Noir. <laughs>
0: uh one one other one other horror note and I mentioned this briefly earlier but the film early on in the film and I'd actually forgotten that this happened early in the film Dr Weir uh gets uh they, they 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 get in their space couches their stasis couches they they head off to Neptune. He's the first one to wake up uh he wakes up he gets out of his tube um he sort of freaks out and he gets out of his tube and then he's wandering to the ship and he's like hello, you know. And he gets up to, like, the, the bridge, I guess, of the Lewis and Clark. And there's his wife. Uh, and she's got no eyes. Well, first, uh, she's
1: got his back to him. Yeah, she's got his back her back to him. Yeah,
0: and, 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 and he's like, it's his wife. And, and then she turns around, and she's got no eyes. And, and he weeks, freak, freaks out, and he wakes up. And it was all just a dream. So it was a dreamy fake out. And I thought we didn't get the no eyes until later in the film. I think it must have really left an impression on me as, like, a good scare uh, but I really remembered it as being something that was a reveal later on, like in the circuit board character you know, corridor, not yeah. right at the start of the film. But the thing is, they bookend this. So they do that, and then they bookend it at the end. Uh, Cooper, the sassy black guy, and blonde lady with an Australian or New Zealand or, I don't know, South African accent. I, I don't remember which it was. Uh, they've survived, uh, along with mi- terrible spaced Mr. Justin, is technically alive, uh, mm-hmm. if badly injured. Uh, so they're heading home. 72 days later, we come back and we get a shot of her waking up in her space couch, and she gets out. Uh, and And this is happening while some security dudes from Earth are coming in, and they're wearing like sort of stormtrooper-y uh, space cop suits with fel- helmets covering their faces. Uh, and they're like, oh, systems, look out! Uh, check Checks like there are some people here. Okay, about to. Yeah, blah, blah. these are
1: completely different spacesuits than the ones they had in the ship.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and, and but you know, they're just doing basic, boring, procedural yeah. stuff, uh, where they're like, okay, well, let's uh, let's take a look. Let's see what's going on on board here. Uh, nominal life signs. Okay, things look okay. And and she comes out of the tube. And she's like, uh, did we make it are are we home or something like that?" And the guy in the 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 cop office is like, "Uh yeah, yeah, you made it and then he opens up the list and it's evil doctor we're cenobite ter- terrible looking monster just saying, You're home and then she wakes up with a start and she's that was just all just a dream, and she was actually you know uh so they 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 do the same thing going and coming. Uh and it's a total like classic one last shocker thing in a horror movie where yeah. everything's okay and then something's terrible uh and I was annoyed basically I guess is That they made
1: everything <laughs> Were you annoyed that they made everything okay
0: again? I I I, I was I was annoyed that they sort of like it, cuz it's trying to set up the ambiguity It's like are you ever really safe you know maybe Dr. Yeah. Weir did come back maybe something came back with them but they don't mm-hmm. explore anything cuz it's the end of the movie it just felt like such a like you know formality like oh and we've got to have the last scare when it looks like things might be okay then it's like ah, it didn't add anything to the film it just made me feel like yes you are aware that you're making a horror movie i acknowledge that you are aware it's like i was like i was filling out fucking paperwork at that point in the movie it's like yes i'll rubber stamp (laughs) your final scene yes okay we've completed the transaction it was a horror movie and it's that, um, that actually reminds me of something. Where hallucinates his wife with no eyes
1: before the no eyes thing is ever in any way established?
0: Yeah, yeah. And well, actually. And- is- weird. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, we, again, we could like, we could build something here. There could be a story mm-hmm. here. There could be the idea that we're ended up building the gravity drive actually out of some sort of weird connection with the beyond. Like let's assume right. that his wife died years ago and then mm-hmm. he built the event horizons, uh, gravity drive and he, he was called to do that by some weird sort of insight that was actually some sort of spiritual connection to this other place. And so maybe the iconography. Yeah. So like, (laughs) exactly. So like the eyelessness thing is actually him having some sort of subconscious connection with this thing. And so maybe him seeing his wife with no eyes, uh, was they were getting in range of the event horizon and that voice of whatever that was, the voice of the ship, the voice of that beyond was speaking much louder. And so he has this, uh, Vision of his eyeless wife before there's anything else in the movie to suggest that, you know, he's going crazy or that uh, eyelessness is going to be a, a running theme, etc. Uh, so maybe something there like was, that. But yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if that had actually been in the yeah. film we watched? Wouldn't that have been? It would. That would have been fun would've There that. was um,
1: one scene that was very funny, but unfortunately unintentionally so. Was um, you know, there's uh, there's the scene where they're all sitting around like the table talking um, and introducing themselves, and Ware's explaining everything. Then there's a cut, and then the everybody who was in that scene is now just sitting in a different place in a different part of the ship, and Ware is still explaining things. So there's no reason <laughs> for the scene change. Then he's just like, you know, we got um, we got the log from you know we got like the audio logs from like the ship's last transmission, and he's saying that's like really calm he's just like yeah you know we just got the audio log let me play it for you and he puts it in and hits play and there's like the sound of like human shrieking and suffering and like monsters and he, you know no warning or anything he's just like you know this might get a little hairy it's like nope it's like you know <laughs> click ah shit yep and like the crew's clearly freaked out which is the funny part i hope that was one of those things where um they did not tell them that they were going to do that <laughs> That would be awesome. I love those scenes in movies. Yeah, where they don't tell somebody something happens. I um, just
0: played something with some creepy chanting previously in rehearsal, and then yeah.
1: there was um the yeah the uh, you know hey movie trivia time. The two things I can remember that happening in is um have you seen American Beauty? Yeah, you know the scene where uh, Kevin Spacey gets pissed off and throws a spaghetti against the wall. Yeah, ad libbed. Nice. And the other thing is, um, have you seen With Nail and I? I have not. Okay, well, there's a scene where one of the characters uh, drinks rubbing alcohol or lighter fluid. Yeah, it's lighter fluid because he needs to get drunk, so he drinks lighter fluid. And it's a dark comedy, so you know, he kind of gets sick, but he also kind of gets drunk. But the thing is, like, as he drinks it, what nobody on the set told them is that they replace, it was supposed to just be water in there, but I think they replaced it with either gin or vodka. <laughs> and so he got a mouthful of unexpected gin. <laughs> nice.
0: Yep. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know, one one more thing I need to talk about. And I, I, mm-hmm. I may have mentioned this right up top or even before we hit record. But uh, the name of the ship, The Event Horizon. Now, I, yeah. I I know I told you, my wife hated this name. She was like, we got in the movie. She didn't realize that that was the name of the ship. She hadn't quite gotten that from the crawl. Uh, mm-hmm. and 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 so somewhere, I don't know, 15 minutes in or something, it was clarified that the ship was The Event Horizon. And she was like, are you fucking kidding me? Why would you name your ship after a critical and super important phenomenon involved in how that ship does what it does? Like naming it the event horizon, then you're on the ship and you're like, oh, we've got a problem with the event horizon. It's like, really? What's going on? Is the, is the gravity drive, you know, no, no, I mean the ship. I mean, I mean the, the the toilets are out on the event horizon. It's like, what the fuck? You know, this is, you can't just, it's like, no, it's, it's a terrible idea. Why would you do that? And, and and my take is, like, I, I agree with that. Uh, I, apparently, it didn't bother me nearly as much. I was just like, ah, it's a stupid movie. I've seen it before. Trust me. This is not the worst thing about the writing. But uh, but I'd always been sort of bothered by the fact that this was built as, like, again, with an echo to 2001. The secret mission of the ship was totally different from the public one. The public one was, it was just, like, a exploring the solar system-like type awesome. ship. But it was secretly, you know, this project to, you know explore faster than light travel with a secret drive. Now, if you're going to build a ship that's secretly using wormhole technology to, you know, on the DL, you know, explore faster than light travel by, you know, using a a singularity to create a wormhole. Would you name it after that thing? (laughs) It's like if the Manhattan project had been called the blowing up Japan project, you know, it's like, no, you give it a code name. So it's not obvious. You don't, it's ah, it's like ah, I w- I'm wondering if like the crew was told that, or if at
1: some point like some engineering guy's like, hey, listen, I went back to check on the engines, and <laughs> instead of there being an engine there, there's just some sort of glowy orb and spikes. Does anybody know <laughs> anything about that? Because I don't know how to run one of these.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I can do a diesel, but uh, wormholes, I you know, you you want a different guy, I uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's there. There you go. The name of the whole goddamn thing, and you know, it's, and the, the the whole thing with the event horizon. Anybody who's not like you know a nerd for for black holes and singularities. Uh, why did I just say that? That like that wasn't the same thing twice. Uh, the event horizon specifically of of a black hole is the exact, essentially, the point of no return. The idea is it's a super strong gravity well, and famously. You know, once you get close enough to it, nothing can escape its gravity, even light. Light cannot travel fast enough to escape from the interior of a black hole. And so there's that specific moment, that that, that specific, you know, sort of uh, skin of the sphere of this black hole, if you will, uh, that is the exact moment where you go from light being able to escape to light not being able to escape. And that is the event horizon. And uh, so that's why a black hole is black, because everything within that, you know, you there's no light coming out. There's no light traveling through. So it's just, you know, black. Uh, and and so they named the ship that. And uh, I guess you could take the idea that in a sense, you know, once you've gone to the hell dimension between space in the wormhole, maybe there is no return. Maybe it's the point of no return at that point. But, uh, you know, they didn't say that in the film or anything. Uh,
1: and um, at least based on, from what I understand of a brief history of time, if you, like, as a person or, like, in a ship, if you get past the event horizon, time stops, or it basically, like, slows to a crawl at the point at which you can't distinguish between time being very slow and time stopping, which, and you're stuck there. You know, you're stuck, which is kind of a weird thing to name a ship.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 it might, might 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 spook the crew a little bit. Uh, a yeah. little bit to say, like, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But All I mean, aboard
1: the SS Kraken.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. There's, Kraken? I say Kraken. I've heard Kraken a lot, though.
1: Do you say Golem or Gollum? I say Gollum. No, not the Lord of the Rings thing. Though, no, no, no. The Constructed no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. You yeah, say Gollum?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I say Gollum. That's weird. I, I make no claim to be correct on this front. I just I just do.
1: No, it's, it's it seems to be a thing where, like, I, I, those are the only two pronunciations I've ever heard, and both sides are adamant that they are pronouncing it correctly.
0: I'm no longer adamant about the correctness of any pronunciation, like, of anything in my life. I've sort of made my peace with the fact that, you know, it's interesting that there's this variation. And, and I think it's a cool thing. And I've just given up, like, caring. Pronounce yes, I think however wrong. you like. <laughs> Except for <laughs> Mephi. It's Mephi, Mephite. Anybody says otherwise is crazy. <sighs> Including the oh, guy who created shit. the site. Um yep. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got anything hey. else uh, anything else for this film have we uh thoroughly exhausted it yeah
1: yeah I, uh, I did i did i mention fuck this ship i mentioned
0: fuck this ship i just wanted to say
1: fuck this ship again um yeah did you want to talk about the the the, the further plans for this podcast yeah
0: we were talking about this and we we're talking about what to do next and there's been a bunch of good suggestions uh on facebook and via tumblr and talking about it on metafilter a bit and uh uh, the, the short version is that there's a whole shitload of stuff we could watch. So it's going to take forever to actually get to all of it. Uh, on the short term, uh, we were talking about doing Prophecy because, hey, it was the first three films. Christopher Walken, I love him. And they're you know interesting horror films in their own ways. Well, horror, theological, thriller. I don't know how to call them exactly. Uh, the last two movies that I didn't even know existed until we started doing this podcast series – Uh, were made at the same time as Hellraiser 7 and 8 by the same people in Romania for Dimension Films. So there's that's an interesting thing. So Mm -hmm. we're going to watch those, but we're going to not do it all as a big, tedious five-episode thing because I think we learned from the later Hellraiser movies that it's just not worth that many hours of our life or the (laughs) listeners for some of those films to just dedicate a whole two hours of moaning to them. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the original Prophecy film uh, because there'll be plenty to dig into. And uh, and then we'll watch something else. And then we'll watch Prophecy 2 and 3. Then we'll watch something else. And then we'll wrap up with Prophecy 4 and 5 to finish off that series before picking our probably our next franchise. And maybe we'll just keep doing that. We'll see how... The, obviously, yeah. we'll have two and a half months to figure this out at the rate that we <laughs> record these. So it's not like we're on time pressure to make a snap decision, but we'll see because maybe that'll be a good way to go. Sort of mixing up the franchise thing with one off so we can sort of enjoy maybe pair up movies on a regular basis. I think I had this random idea of we could do some episodes of original and remake together. Like we could, yeah. uh, once the new RoboCop's out, we could watch uh, RoboCop and RoboCop. Uh, you know, or, once, uh,
1: Halloween and Halloween, Halloween
0: and Halloween, uh, Friday
1: the 13th. To-
0: oh yeah. I still, I, I gotta, we'll have to do that sometime cause I gotta see that remake. I for- the fact that I didn't know it existed or forgot it existed says something, but, uh, yeah. but I, am curious to see it, uh, total recall and total recall. Solaris and Solaris for that matter. No, <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> not sitting through that.
0: The original or the remake
1: either for different reasons. I, uh, I, I, Cannot it's it's not Tarkovsky that's the guy who directed Dexter's Lab it's no wait no hang on one of them's Tarkovsky one of them's Tarkovsky and I keep forgetting which one is which
0: I I want to say it's it's Tarkovsky Tarkovsky is
1: the guy who did Solaris yeah and uh, and Stalker as well and I cannot do his pacing I I just can't
0: it's 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 challenging it's like I think of two thousand one as a slow film but somehow I find Solaris a little bit harder to stay with. Uh, than 2001 like 2001 i can actively i've seen it enough times that i without like feeling like a bad person i can sit there and say wow you really fucking slow played this stan you really you really went for it and this is the shortcut that you know he released but uh at the same time for some reason i stay with it and and yeah it's interesting solaris it's like this weird dreamy pacing that yeah it can be hard to sort of stay on top of but uh but i've never seen the newer one i was like yeah i'm sure it's a nice enough film but uh yeah george clooney's in it that's the only thing i remember yeah, yeah, that's nice you know i like george he's a. Mm. we should do moon at some point oh yeah that'd be good yeah you're
1: um, you, were, you were mentioning about in in event horizon with uh peters and like parenting and space taking away from parenting and moon's a pretty good uh moon is how you do that correctly basically. yeah yeah
0: moon that's a really good film that was a really effective sam rockwell was great the direction was good i liked the writing yeah. uh i was to really depressed by it you know yeah. which uh speaks to it doing well the things that it was trying to do because like it's a it's a very thoughtful film it's a very existential uh film that uh, soundtrack I did not know. was
1: great too yeah clint mansell i saw him live once he did uh several uh, at least one thing off of the uh, moon score which was pretty cool
0: nice well, okay, so there we go. I think uh, that's that's yeah. the that's the plan. Next fortnight will be – I love that we get to say fortnight so much. Now. Yes. It's a great word. Uh, next fortnight we'll be watching Prophecy, the original Prophecy, starring mm-hmm. Christopher Walken, uh, some other people in it too. That one guy, the redhead, who was the original Marty McFly before they decided that he was a terrible Marty McFly. Uh, what's his face? Eric something, redhead guy. Tim Roth. No, 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 no. no oh, no, no. Eric,
1: the the other guy from Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Eric Stoltz.
0: Uh, yeah, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz is in it as a oh one of the one of the angels. There's a bunch of archangels fighting each other. There's a war in heaven. It's a great film. Uh, Chris Rock says. To people and they fall asleep. It's awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Cue up a Prophecy. Watch that sometime in the next couple of weeks uh, or in the next five minutes if you're catching up on these, I guess. Uh, and, yeah, we'll talk about that. And then we'll figure out uh, what we'll watch the fortnight after that. Um, since we got all those great suggestions to work with, we'll sort of go over, see how we're feeling, see what pairs up well. Yep. And uh, other than that, I think we're pretty much good. Go to the Facebook page. Uh you know, check out the stuff there. Give us a like, follow us along. We're posting there pretty well. I think that's been, that's kind of like the primary place we've been interacting with people. We've got Facebook? the Tumblr as well yeah. and and Tumblr's where we're posting the uh, the main posts and we'll keep doing that. But yeah, Facebook seems like it's easier to have a discussion there. So if you want to chat, come over to the Facebook page for We Have Such Films to show you. Uh, go to iTunes. Please give us a, a rating there. Do, leave us a little review if you like. Uh, that helps with visibility for the podcast. Yep. Um, and, and and yeah, if you have ideas or questions or suggestions or complaints or so on, just let us know. Go to Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Josh Millard. Yakov's I'm at Griff. G R I P H. G R I P H. Griff. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, am I forgetting anything? No. no. We good. Uh, we we love you, we, audience. We we, we we love you so much. You are so lovable. Um, yeah. We're making it weird. <laughs>
1: All right, prophecy. What's so weird about love, Josh?
0: What's really so weird about love? Take your hand off my thigh. Um, No. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. Well, okay, we're good. (laughs) Stuck the landing, as usual. See y'all in a couple weeks.